to ask you uh, in all your films which are quite a show and a spectacle and entertaining but also a comment on the contemporary Korean society and, and capitalist society and I think this one follows uh, the trend and I was wondering if you could discuss a little bit um, who do you really see as a parasite in in, in the film, and is that a reflection of what you think of modern society? So you can say that the, the poor family all sitting here, that they're the parasites, and that wouldn't be wrong. But I think that's a very easy answer. I think the rich family can also be called parasites. So in terms of labor, they can't even drive themselves. They need to hire a housekeeper. So they're, uh, they leech off of the labor that others provide. So in that sense, you can say they're parasites too. So as long as we are able to keep the uh, minimal amount of respect for each other, uh, we can still work um, and not be parasites, but coexist together. I think there's a fine line between being parasites and just coexisting. 그리고 기본적으로 이 가족들이 뭐 멍청하거나 무능력하거나 게으른 사람들이 아니거든요. 다 멀쩡히 보면 일을 하잖아요. 막상 그 부잣집에 들어가면 그래서 멀쩡하고 사지가 멀쩡하고 분명히 능력 있는 사람들인데 그럼에도 불구하고 일자리가 없다는 거. 그게 영화의 출발점인데 이 가족들 캐릭터의 출발점이고 그게 그거 자체가 어 시사하는 말해주는 바가 있다고 생각했어요. 요즘에 이전 한국뿐 아니라 전 세계 모든 이 양극화 시대에 대해서 그그 일자리가 없는 그 모습 자체가. And basically, every, everyone in the Kim family, it's not as if they're dumb or incompetent or lazy. They're actually very capable and smart. And once they get the jobs in the rich family, they're, they do a really great job. Um, but nonetheless, they don't have jobs. And that's where the story begins. And that's how these characters begin their stories. And I think that in itself sort of reflects this era of polarization that we're living in, um, this state that applies to not only Korea, but to countries all over the world. Okay, welcome to Movie Night Extravaganza. I'm your host, Forrest Miller, and I'm here with, as always, my co-host, Jay Andrew World. Um, and of course, 
How's it going? Good, good. I, I'm doing a double feature tonight, so I'm like all pepped and ready to go. Yeah, I uh, I, I did like a 12 mile bike ride um, <laughs> right right before I uh, right before I came on here. So like my I got like the nice adrenaline rush. <laughs> yeah, well, like um, uh, we learned in, in uh, Legally Blonde, you know, uh, exercise creates endorphins, and endorphins makes happy people, and happy people don't kill people. Yeah. <laughs> And that's uh, and that's why in Parasite, you know, they should have just exercised more, and you know, everything would have been fine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So introducing our guest lineup, uh, Karthik, who is um, who does revolutionary tracks on Left Flank Vets, and of course, Alien Encounters on Substack. Um, we have Kenzo Shibata from the Kenzo Shibata Show and Meet the Left on Sundays. A, uh, you know, I the only the only really leftist uh, podcast um, like fun panel show that i can think of <laughs> kind of in 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 that mold um oh and i'm joining revolutionary radio too nice and uh, of course we have c Derek varn who is uh the host of varn vlog and the official doug lane wrangler which is becoming a harder job as i see him uh thirst post across <laughs> across facebook <laughs> So, um, so, all right, tonight's movie obviously is Parasite, and uh, you're muted. All right. <laughs> tonight's movie obviously is Parasite, um, our second Bong Joon-ho uh, entry after doing Snowpiercer a couple weeks ago, which I think was a very um, fun and, and productive uh, stream. We really got into depth with that one. Um, Parasite, I think, on an even... Uh, I, I think... Like, I think we have a lot to say about this movie in general, but I think because it's a genre film, um, like, you know, a horror film, I think it's a very interesting, like, a, a metaphorical uh, piece. Um, and, and, of course, you know, the most vapid question is what I wanted to start with, which is why I started with the Who Are the Parasites um, question, which doesn't really begin to get into, you know, any of the the class dynamics in the sense of, like, you know, the, the wider thing that... Um, Bong Joon-ho was obviously trying to say it's kind of just like a so who's the parasite so I thought that was a you know a, an interesting place to start this conversation um if anyone has any thoughts on that obviously the parasite is us for watching the movie <laughs> on someone else's uh Hulu account <laughs> <laughs> oh, mine. I got a Hulu account well the parasite is Bong Joon-ho for taking two Oscars away from the Joker, right? <laughs> I know we're yeah, going to dig into that later, but I wanted to start with that little meme. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of insane um, that, you know, in that, in that year, there are two movies that are really kind of going uh, pretty hard at neoliberalism. Like, of course, you know, I think um, Parasite is very much um, a, like a class-based movie. And I think, I mean, in some ways Joker is too, um, coming at it from two very different genres, but I think, you know, the incisiveness that the Joker brings to like criticizing neoliberalism and like the, the slow privatization, I guess, of, of every really facet of public resources, because, you know, I, it feels like the fact that, you know, his, uh, his mental health clinic is not only under resource, like under sourced and underfunded the entire movie, it like closes down um halfway through it which leads to you know uh you know the, the spiral into like oblivion which is you know uh, in itself kind of a, a a incredibly harsh critique of you know neoliberal capitalism and in in a very different way i think parasite is a is a very class conscious reading of 
uh, that kind of discourse. Barn, you look, you look, you look uh, exhausted. <laughs> you're still, you're still yeah. muted somehow. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. There you are. Now we can okay. hear you. <laughs> we had about five settings we got to hit through. Um, so uh, I was actually just thinking about what you're saying about the Joker, and I think the Joker does have things to say about class society, but it's almost by accident because of the films it's actually pastiching. Um, And so some of what it's saying is related to neoliberalism. Some of what it's saying is actually kind of related to late Fordism. And that's because it's pulling from films of the seventies. I think parasite, you know, when you asked me who the parasite is, I was going to give a serious answer Um, and it's class aspirationalism. Um, Mm. But I found watching this movie with a you know, people who know me. Um, um, know that I spent a long time in Korea and I found watching this movie actually quite interesting comparing what is said in Korean versus what is said in the subtitles. Mm-hmm. Um, because the subtitles do try to get the, it's not a bad translation, but. If you think it's if you think the film is class conscious from what you get in English, it's doubly so in in Korean. Um, well, you can the, even see that with the uh, with the English because because the the version I watched they put the uh, when they spoke in English they had like that thick uh, accent so they they kept the the subtitles and even what was being said in English was being translated differently on the subtitles. Yeah, <laughs> um, it was. Yeah, it was trying to the subtitles was was uh, de-conglishing it, um, but also just Korean is a is a highly uh, context syntactic formal language, and so how you address someone um, is totally based on their age, class, position, yeah. sex, uh, and That's the Confucianism. Yeah, it's Confucianism plus capitalism in the case of South Korea, and what's what 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 if you actually listen to um the korean there's lots of times where the kim family is addressed inappropriately by not not by the uh not by the park family actually but by people who are just barely uh, above them in their peer set so that is a constant theme um, that doesn't come across in the English very well at all. Um, and it was it was very interesting to see because this movie, you know, yeah, it's about the conflict between the Parks and the Kims, but it's also about, and maybe more so about, the inability of the Kims to show class solidarity and also people not showing class solidarity to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that is something that... that at key points in the film, um, it comes up, and it's really important as to what uh, Bong Joon Ho is trying to say. Um, also, Bong Joon Ho is really cagey when he answers questions about this movie, probably even more so than when he answers questions about Snowpiercer. Um, part of that has to do with the fact that Bong Joon Ho is kind of a known Marxist, but you can get arrested for being a Marxist in South Korea. Still the national security law is still in place. Um, so sometimes when he answers these questions, I find him way more cagey and like way more like, Oh, I, you know, this isn't really about this, that or the other than 
than I than he means. Like, um, and I and I also think I also think that there's um, something about you know playing the uh, Oscars game um, mm -hmm. that probably makes it an incredibly awkward. Like one of I think one of the most uh, I mean at least from like a some kind of either Scheidenfreude or whatever you want to call it level watching like everybody in the you know sitting at the Oscars having to applaud Parasite winning was like a really it was like a really like I don't know I felt like passionate about that moment like it's a movie that kind of takes down their class and the mm -hmm. obliviousness that like that kind of um entitled like rich like the, the kind of thing that you know I don't think that necessarily the Park family is in the range of like celebrity to the point of um you know like what somebody like Leonardo DiCaprio would be but that's what they're aspiring to be and you can see it even in the way that um you know the Mr. Park has a uh, Park Mr. Park takes Central Park the magazine um <laughs> clipping on his wall in the kitchen when they when you first walk in like and you know even like the the American fixation that the family seems to have you know their class aspiration is that they want to basically be Americans like they, I they think that's wrong. Think... I actually think that's completely wrong. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, the the American class aspiration thing is a misunderstanding of the way English and foreign languages are used in the upper class in Korea. If you were to say that they wanted to be American, you would have very much offended them. Um, the taking of English names is is a thing that very wealthy people do in South Korea, but it is actually internal to their own class structure. Um, and I, I think that's often missed. And I think Americans often think it's about them. No offense, yeah. but it, it, it's something that, for example, um, if you will notice, and this is a very, uh, small class demarcator. Did you notice the difference in eyelid between, uh, Miss Park and the daughter and the Kim daughter? No. All right. Um, Almost all Koreans who have the money to do it get the epiglottal fold mm. from their eyes surgically altered. Now, we tend to interpret this as trying to look Western. It actually is not at all. It has something to do with some older Korea, uh, Korean beauty standard. Um, at least that's what I was told. And I, they showed me evidence of like prior pictures. But it's super rare in Korea and was considered a demarker of royalty. Um so when you would I, when I taught at a at, at a uh, fairly elite private um uh community i mean not community college um language college in south korea i taught i taught rich teachers basically and um you would come People in uh yeah 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 well men i would i taught men's although yonsei university which is the university fakes coming from is actually public and super prestigious um uh but but anyway um the you would go in and like all the women who were over 19 who had money, you would see recent scarring right here from the, from the, um, from the surgery. And it was just like, if you were going into that social class and you didn't have that, you were either making a statement or you were poor. So like it's small things like that, that are all over this movie that, I don't know that people who haven't spent significant time in Korea or are Korean would not pick up. I mean, I just don't know if they would notice it. Um, yeah. the, the names is obvious. Like, and, and the, the taking of double like foreign names apparently also is pre, is like pre us, uh, 
Imperial, like uh, you often had your Korean name and your Chinese name before that. Um, but which makes sense from also, I mean, an Imperial colonizer point of view, like looking yeah. at the relationship between China and, and Korea. And, well, I mean, and just the, yeah, you know. Korea has been imperialized a lot. Um, yeah. Yeah. And was <laughs> actually part of China at one point. Um, yeah. Briefly. And part of Korea still is part of China, actually. So part of Chosan is actually the um, in the Korean Autonomous Prefecture and in, in China now. Um, so all this stuff is like in this movie, which is which is wild to me because Snowpiercer is clearly the movie he completely made for Oscars for far for a foreign audience. He shot it in English. Um, this movie is extremely Korean. Um, yeah. Um, and, and, he, and, he, and he touches on that in, in multiple interviews. And I mean, I also think that he probably does that as a way to, well, you know, this movie is on the Oscar. Like when he's doing these interviews, this movie is kind of on the Oscar trail, which is a certain kind of game that you have to play if you're going to get a movie like this onto the Oscars, like onto the Oscars uh, roster and not just, you know, something like Nomadland that doesn't actually have anything to say about class but kind of has like this class aesthetic to it. This is not a movie with a class aesthetic. This is a movie that has something very much to say about class that's universal while also being extremely Korean. Agreed. Yeah. So, so um, now, you know, I, th I think it's, I think it's, I think you're, you're right to pick up on the English names. You're right to pick up on I mean, even small things like the fact they have a driver and that they say they've never, they, they haven't been on the subway in, in, years and if you've ever lived in korea um or even spent it since the time there driving sucks and it is an indication not only of like it's an indication of wealth in a lot of ways because it's not even particularly convenient um whereas the subway system there is awesome it's like one of the best in the world it can get you literally anywhere in the country to anywhere else in the country with a few trains and a bus stop um but uh, you're gonna have you have to mix with other social classes to use it. Yeah, which is what Train to Busan was about. But that's right. a whole other. That's a different podcast. <laughs> um, which is I, I definitely want to do that one at one point. Um, oh yeah, no, but I, I don't think it's necessarily just the English thing that I was picking up on. It's the there's a little bit of a uh, fetishization, I guess, of American uh, commerce, not mm, American yeah. culture in the sense of like. They want to be Americans in the sense of like they're taking on like fake American accents and, you know, but there's like a fetishization of that, of our type of capitalism as like the highest form of capitalism in a weird way. Like the fact that he has the um, Mr. Park take Central Park means that his company is at least trading in, in America somehow. You know what I mean? Like is at least entered the free market system in America. And it seems like that's something. I mean, the fact that he's on a magazine cover, the fact, you know what I mean? Like all, all of that kind of, I think. um and, and and not just uh, I mean not just that point but like I feel like there's a lot of a lot of different moments like that in this where um, like at one point I mean the obviously the American Indian thing where mm -hmm. they uh, you know where, where they're dressed up as, as they have this like uh, fixation on that but then there's also um, um, at one point when they come home with holding a bunch of uh, you know uh, the walkie talkies and all of that stuff. He comes home with a bunch of different um, products for, you know, his, for uh, uh, the song, I think uh, birthday. And he's coming yeah. home and he's like, Oh, I, I picked all of these up. Like they shipped all the way from America. 
so they're the the america thing i don't think is like they want to be americans i guess i said that wrong it's it's more about like the fetishization of american capitalism and like that one, kind of free market one little thing that i picked up on was that jessica supposedly went to illinois state university which is my alma mater and i thought that I don't know if it was intentional, but Illinois state is like a third tiered state school. It's fine for many things, but it's, it doesn't have much of an international program, but the university of Illinois champaign does. And that's where we get a lot of, uh, of international students been like, it's like one of those shady universities where they'll pick uh, international students before local students because they could pay more tuition. And, but Which it's is like most universities now, yeah. <laughs> but like, uh, well, the thing with U of I, though, Champaign, is that it has a huge international program mm -hmm. and it's pretty well respected in, in most of the schools. So, like, I was almost wondering if that was like an intentional flub. Like, um, they meant U of I, but said Illinois State instead. There's um, a couple of intentional flubs. Um, and, and that character, uh, Jessica, actually is interesting in that of the Kims, she's the most willing to cross um boundaries um mm -hmm. uh, another subtle thing is when she first meets miss park she talks about um De song being potentially crazy as an art and needing art therapy and uh miss park freaks out um that's a cultural taboo in korea I, I like when i taught in korea i was my students wouldn't teach me how to say crazy in korean when we would do language exchange because it was offensive to even bring up the idea mm. um i had to like i had to apply some some Korean businessman with alcohol to get them to teach me that. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it was, it, it's there, there's, there's interesting stuff like that. And, but yeah, that's a flub because they, they don't really, the Kims know enough. The, the Kims know enough to know that America is super prestigious, but they make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And then the parks, the parks actually are also kind of faking it in a lot of ways, even though they are legitimately that rich. Um, and so they don't notice the mistakes, um, which is something that that I think is like specifically there and kind of a sly comment on like the way like foreign, you know, education is used in Korea. I mean, because one of the things about Korea is um, Korean high schools are like usually like the second or third best in the piece of scores in the world. Um, their colleges kind of actually, except for Yonsei and Seoul Day, kind of suck um for reasons of that i could go into but don't really want to because it would take a lot of time um but but there is this aspirational culture amongst even the korean upper middle class to get their kids even at a young age to america even if it means sending them to a public school hmm. in a not even necessarily great district like um and so it's like it's a big class demarcator. And like I, I unfortunately in my last year in Korea, I, I taught at uh, a private high school that was geared for the lower, like the true middle class to try to to try to game that up by getting English language education on the quote cheap, but it was still probably about ten thousand dollars a year. Um to then go into uh kind of low third tier u.s universities is what we could get them with big and maybe second tier with big international programs um but the kids were often sold that they were going to be able to get into like harvard and yale um which there was no way um so it's that's you're you're, you're very right to notice that that's 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 very much in the film 
Um, when when were you in South Korea? Like, was it before? I mean, I guess it probably wasn't, but they have like so the government in South Korea now I think is a little bit different than it was previously, right? Under the, um, yeah, the government right now you have a left liberal government. Um, yeah, under uh, Moon, which is why the movie I think was received well by that administration, it, like you know, better than it would have been. Like you can tell that um, I, there's a video that I saw that I, I you know it's it's it, I mean it's it's interesting I didn't think it was necessarily worth playing but um, you know President Moon uh, toasts Bong Joon Ho and, and toasts the cast of the movie and talks about number one like how prestigious it is that you know Americans are now in, like imbibing in South Korean culture which you know makes sense because it's kind of like an internationalist like you know because he talks about K-pop and he talks about Bong Joon Ho which you know, of course, are things that, you know, even if they're, um, even, even if the, the point of the movie is kind of criticizing Korean society, you know, um, are, are things that I think are, are probably prestigious in, in that sense. But then Bong Joon-ho seems kind of almost raptured by having the president next to him. And he doesn't seem cagey in that context. He seems actually, you know, they, they finally kind of have a, a president that seems like he's willing to put money into, you know, feel shame enough to put money into the um you know the, the semi-basement apartments and the, the housing crisis a little bit because this movie is now being seen by an international audience i don't necessarily know that like a right-wing government would care um <laughs> it depends on the right-wing government so i lived there during the during the 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 end of the imun bach administration which was one kind of conservatism it's very an american style conservatism it was a protestant conservatism and this is another thing that there's there's religious overtones in this movie too but um uh and then the the park administration and it's interesting the family's name part because the park administration was the super conservative um more nationalist uh version of conservatism that was buddhist um um in that replaced it the year I left in 2013 and, you know, uh, ended in scandal. Um, but, um, and then, and then president, president moon came in in the middle of the Trump administration, right? Like, right. In, in the middle of like, kind of that, this crisis moment, which is something I think that gets alluded to in this as well. Like the fear of, of North Korea that, you know, a lot of older, um, Koreans pro like South Koreans probably have like, you know, but then kind of, the embarrassed a lot of Korean films actually have this fear of North Korea. Um, I, yeah. I uh, went through a, a phase where I was just watching Korean spy films and um, there's, there's some real bangers out there. Um, the suspect is my, is my favorite, but um, anyways, but, but there's a, a lot of Korean films. There's this subtext of like, um, Oh, big bad North Korea. And, but this movie, but parasite didn't seem to have parasite seemed to be talking about, the, the, the great Nam June, I think, is the architect that, uh, you know, fictitiously in the movie designs the house. They're, they kind of, when he moves out, they, they talk about how he was embarrassed that he had the basement, um, the bunker. You know, you know what I mean? Like, and then they're kind of mocking the, the North Korean, um, North Korean, like, TV announcer. It kind of felt like this almost changing of, of the guard, where it's like, almost in some cases, um, a little bit like embarrassing to admit how afraid, you know. So, can can I like give some more context for this again? I I hate to okay. dominate this, but my my ties to Korea are actually pretty deep. 
Um, yeah. Well, I literally have asked Varn about uh, living in South Korea on the outline for, for this episode. So, <laughs> yeah, I live. I I lived there um, right after the release of Bong Joon Ho's. Uh, third film, um, Gwemul, or The Host in English, which is a bad translation. It actually means monster. I don't know why they translated as a host. But um, the parasite which, which actually was a big host. thing in the States, too, if you remember. Yeah, it was a big movie here, kind of. I remember actually leaving, watching it in the U.S. and then watching it again in Korea and like beginning to understand its Korean context. Um, but one thing I would say is the the Korean movie portrayal of fear of North Korea and the way that most Koreans under the age of 50 feel about North Korea are entirely different. Um, I lived there uh, in Korea during the Yampong Island bombings when uh, Kim Jong-il died and, uh, right, uh, and Kim Song-on uh, took over. Um, and if there was a chance where there was actual war between the, nor the North and the South and the U.S., it was actually that moment. Um, and because there was live fire and people actually died. And uh, we were free. The Americans were freaking out. And the Americans back in the States were freaking out. And I would talk to my Korean friends and they'd be like, what are you worried about? Like, what are you worried about? We've been living like this forever. Souls literally put here to get blown up. Like, and they're not going to do it or they would have done it 20 years ago. Chill out. And I was like, okay. And similar, you know, I mean, similar kind of with uh, Taiwan and, and China, right? Like in some senses, like the, the feeling of uh, having these, these, you know, two opposing uh, countries with some kind of firepower, one of them backed by the U.S., living within a very small space of each other um yeah but but i would say that if you if you look through uh bong jun ho's uh movies now he's very careful about this because being sympathetic to the north will land you in prison um mm -hmm. and, and like a left-wing political party that was kind of popular in south korea was busted up the year after i left because somebody said something that could be taken kind of as being mildly um north korea supportive also when occupy yoido which was their version of occupy wall street was going on uh the moment kim jong-un said anything nice about it it stopped dead um and like morphed into something else never used occupy nomenclature again like it um so it, it's it's that tension's there but in in bong joon ho's movies the villain is either the is usually korea and then the background villain is probably the U.S. military, like mm -hmm. that. You know, that's definitely true in the in the host. That's true in a few other films. So, like, it's it's not something that really shows up. I, I think he views it as a distraction. Oh, you, you can you can keep going. Sorry, I was just oh uh, yeah. Um, no, that was just that was just what I was saying about because like it it's not it's not just not in this movie. It's not in any of his movies. Um, yeah. Well, but this movie seemed like it had something to say specifically about the, the relationship between, and, and I think that, you know, cause I'm not, I mean, obviously like, I don't know a lot about, you know, South Korea, but like, I, you know, I mean, I remember, um, the president moon getting elected and I remember feeling like that was some kind of sea change in a, in a way, because for like the first time, you know, I mean, cause it was during the height of Trump and Kim Jong-un's like back in like fire and fury thing, which, 
made it seem like it, it was terrifying that you know North Korea could have stuff pointed at us, which obviously didn't. They don't have the capacity to do that. They would just, if they really wanted to, would aim things at South Japan Korea or, or, or South Korea. Korea. Yeah, like you know what I mean. So it doesn't seem like that's. But it was in this moment of maximum tension that you know the the Korean, like the South Korean people, spoke, and all of a sudden they had one candidate that was like. I want to stick by the U.S. and they had another candidate that was like, "No, I want to like pretty much at some point we should probably re like reunify Korea to some level." Like, which was President Moon, and I I don't think that it, he still obviously has played the same game that like someone like Amlo or someone has to, where it's like you know while you know rhetorically making overtures to a to a more um uh, a more left wing program obviously has to stick by the U.S. in ways that you know a, a truly left-wing country wouldn't well he's also but, suppressing his own leftist i mean like yeah I, I do want to point that out like like there are there are actual leftists in south korea that are um i mean he's not, i would he's not, a, he's not a leftist right no he's, he's not he's i mean he 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 has okay so his legacy is a little complicated particularly um in light of park because park um what is the daughter of the u.s backed dictator in the late 70s early 80s like like um and that dictator was really weirdly fascinating like uh uh that park um was attempted like planned capitalism this kind of third position third wayest backed by the u.s military so violently eradicated a lot of the left in um in korea um and that was but, that was that was the, the the protest movement that came up kind of around that was what um bong jun ho originated in right like i i because we, we were watching right. the snowpiercer clips and he was talking about um how pretty much every day you know they were pro like the students were protesting the dictatorship right um, yeah and the dictatorship didn't end until like 1985 so like yeah. so bong joon ho comes out of that moon comes out of that i think moon was actually imprisoned by by park's father i believe um, I may be getting Moon confused with his other predecessor in the and and the liberal opposition, but I don't think so. Um, so, so like so, at one point Moon was a leftist, and but his position is complicated, as is his position on reunification with the North. Because the other thing I will say is nobody who's younger really believes in reunification with the North, and a lot of people who push it in South Korea are actually right wingers and see North Korea as a source of cheap labor. It's kind of gross. Um, I, yeah, and his, which is kind of how it's used. Right. Um, yeah. If yeah. you've ever read the uh, the graphic novel uh, "Playing Young," I believe is what it's called. It's um, about an animator who goes over to um, uh, to North Korea to supervise an animation project, and just kind of his experiences there. And and it's uh, absolutely worth you know picking up and reading just because of like you know yeah it's 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 what he saw, but like it says something it says a lot more about north korea than we normally get in uh, uh you mm -hmm. know in media so so you know i was i was very thankful for reading that so yeah, and, uh go ahead oh no i i just um the point i guess I'm, i was trying to make was that there was this moment of maximum tension i don't i don't think that the that what the people in korea that elected moon were, were trying to say was we should um reunify with north korea as in we should become one country but it it so when I remember watching that election and feeling like it went from kind of a super uh, a, a, a government that was super antagonistic to North Korea right before mm -hmm. that to kind of a more uh, conciliatory in the sense of being like, hey, maybe we should de-escalate this tension. 
which was President Moon, which obviously he's not truly trying to reunify the, the two Koreas, but it, it did seem like, it, it seemed like, you know, the South Korean people kind of um, were asked, I mean, pretty much in this election, like, do you want this maximum tension with North Korea and the U.S., or do you want a, a more conciliatory approach to things? And it seems like it was kind of a referendum on the Trump-Kim Jong-un uh, feud, more than it was a referendum on reunification as an idea. Yeah, I, I, I would... Uh... I actually would just say I don't really know. I would have to actually go back to Korea and talk to people. I just, that feels that feels true enough to me. But um, I'm also sometimes wary about our our understanding of these countries. Yeah, and, um, and it's, you know, it's it's Western media that I was getting that right. I was paying attention to at this time. Because sometimes I mean, sometimes we we put em emphasis on the American situation in ways that I actually think. Not that it isn't a factor, it absolutely is. Um, mm -hmm. um, but that we overemphasize the American importance in what's going on. Oh, um, everywhere. What it, we yeah, do that in every single <laughs> in every single country, we're like, hey, you know what? This this uh, this election that might have been about you know social issues and like national issues that have nothing to do with us. Like, you know what? The fact that this this government's a little more liberal. That says something about us, and I think we need to do something about it. Right. I mean, because the, the Park administration before the Moon administration was a godforsaken train wreck. Like, like, like things got really bad in South Korea for a while as far as relative to, to South Korea. Not just, And it wasn't even stuff like having to do with the North, although that was very much there. Um, but also, like, there was, like, major, like, like there was a a capitalist-based, like, boat wreck that killed a ton of children. And there was all kinds of corruption scandals, and, like, people were committing suicide over it. It was not... Uh, it was... It was... It kind of was like a... I hate to use the analogy, but it kind of was like their own Trump administration, except it happened... Be it began before the Trump administration, and felt like it was part of this general right-wing turn in a lot of the, you know, the... the, the the spear of Western influence. Because you also saw right-wing turn in, in Japan um, uh, a little bit before that. And then you saw it in Europe too. Um, so, but it, it was just, it didn't work. Um, I, I, to get back to the movie a little bit, I do think that this is deliberately commenting on that um, in various subtle ways. I also think um, there's some interesting things being said about like maybe where 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 um well wealth and stuff may be pivoting in South Korea like the end where it's a German family that buys that um is that's an interesting weird thing I yeah. mean like yeah foreign families buying property is strange I, go ahead I, I rewatched the ending today and I didn't, that stuck out to me too um and and kind of the the fact that they kind of snuck the property onto them being like hey the German family had like wouldn't have had any idea that like a murder had you know multiple murders had taken place on this property. So like we kind of like foisted this property like, <laughs> and they had that on TV like you know because the German family wouldn't have. Um, I, I'm pretty sure the TV announcer said it because the German family wouldn't have spoken Korean in order to understand right. what was being said on TV too, which is hilarious. Um, so I this this uh, this kind of touches on what you were saying though in the beginning about um, Bong Joon-ho being a little cagey about 
this this clip about about you know the the overt, overtly uh, Marxist messaging or class conscious messaging. Um, I, I have a clip of him. This kind of is the next level, I think, to the original "Who are the parasites?" question, which is kind of the most vapid, like baseline, like because you know who the fuck really cares? There's there's par- like parasite metaphors throughout the entire movie. I think some of the parasite metaphors are kind of brilliant and 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 multi-layered because you know the the purpose of um the Kim family's uh you know uh, infiltration is you know it's almost like you're watching evolution right in front of you which kind of is, is a parasitic um like what parasites basically do is information gathering more than anything in order to replicate the, the system function of um of, of a whole organism so I, I think it is interesting that throughout the movie they're kind of always taking in information and learning from it like by the end of the movie, who knows if their Illinois State um, comment would have been made or if they would have, you know, had a, had a better understanding of that. So it seems like throughout the movie, you're kind of watching them evolve in real time. And this is uh, this is Bong Joon-ho talking about whether he whether he's a neutral, whether he's a neutral author in this movie um, in terms of class relations. So I thought this was the next the next step to uh, our original Um, you know, this is a film about people have talked a lot about the political aspect of the film as a film about the haves and the have nots. And, you know, you've certainly been re- of late been moving in pretty elite circles. So I'm just curious. I'm just curious how the politics of the film are, are talked about in, in, in that world. Uh, so I have received a lot of questions. Some of them have been pretty political and radical, and some just tended to focus on the genre aspects of this film, asking about the excite the cinematic excitement that this film brings. 영화가 그두 가지 면을 다 갖고 있어서 뭐 어떻게 보면 당연한 상황인 것 같기도 하고요. So in a way, I think it's natural because the film has both um, extremes. 뭐 특히 뭐이 영화를 통해서 한국의 어떤 뭐 사회적인 혁명이 시, 어떤 도화선이 되는 그런 영화인 거냐라는 질문까지 받은 적도 있는데 뭐 그런 것까지는 생각은 못했었고요. I also once received a question on whether this film will instigate a revolution in Korea, but honestly, I didn't really think about that. 그냥 우리가 우리도 뭐 여러분이나 저나 다 지금 이 시대를 살면서 자본주의 시대를 살면서 자본주의의 달콤함도 있고 또 자본주의의 씁쓸함하고 고통스러운 점도 있고 그두 가지를 다 겪는다고 봐요. 그래서 그런 우리 모두가 같이 겪고 있는 그런 어떤 혼란스러움에 대한 얘기다라는 게 저의 기본적인 생각이었는데. 예. I think for me, it's about you know the the era of capitalism that we all live in right now, the sweetness, the bitterness, and the pain of capitalism. And um, I thought that this film expresses the chaos that we're all experiencing together. That was my basic thought for this film. Hmm. So, do you see the film as more of like a you know sort of neutral analysis of the system, the society that we live in, or do you because you know there's been a recurring theme in in, in your films of of really being on the side of, or at least very empathetic of the, the underdog figure. Um. 그, 뉴트럴하다라는 이제 단어에 대해서 제가 이제 뭐 모르겠어요. 그 부분을 뭐 제대로 고민을 해봤는지 모르겠는데, 이제 그, 제 이제 영화에 나오는 캐릭터들, 특히 이제 가난한 
가족에 대해서 제가 뭐 어떤 냉정한 거리감을 갖고 있진 않아요. 그건 사실인데. So I'm not really sure because I don't know if I've put in a lot of thought into that word neutral. Um, but I don't think in my film with my characters and particularly with the rich family, I don't think I maintain a cold sense of distance from them. 그또 이제 주인공 가난한 가족들이 뭐 물론 나쁜 짓을 했죠. 아그 벌을 받아야 마땅할 나쁜 짓을 한건또 사실인데. 또 그들이 그러고 싶어 그랬나 하면 꼭 그런 것 같지는 않고 어쨌든 최소한의 어떤 동정심이랄까 저저 어, 저 자신이 정서적 감정적으로 그 가난한 가족에 이렇게 연결돼 있는 지점은 분명 있어요. 그래서 뉴트럴이라고 얘기하기는 쉽지는 않을 것 같아요. Um, and with the poor family, the main characters of this film, it's true that they did do bad things, and in a way, they do deserve punishment for what they've done. Um, but they didn't do any of that because they wanted to. And I think throughout the film, I have that sort of uh, that sense of empathy and pity for these characters. And there are definitely points where I'm emotionally connected to them. So I don't think you can quite call that neutral. Mm -hmm. 
in, a, in an almost Elon Musk kind of way, like faking his way through seeming like some kind of uh, aloof creative genius. And then you see him throughout the movie and he's, he's kind of dull. Like he's not an, a particularly interesting person. He doesn't really make emotional connections to anybody. Mm. And, you know, it's interesting that, you know, the way that Bong Joon-ho um, kind of treats these characters is not maliciously. Like it's, it's not like he's, uh, it's not like he's making like th this commentary where, oh, well, the rich people are like particularly evil. The rich people are actually fairly nice, but they're like also oblivious to everything around them. They have no real social skills. They have no way to do anything. They're like kind of useless. Mm -hmm. And it, it kind of, you know, so they're not necessarily the ones perpetuating the system. Um, I mean, they are in this class dynamic, but they're not the ones in control of the system. They're kind of yeah, that's why exploding. like the whole year and like you were saying for us, the whole question of who is the parasite is kind of a boring question because it's like everyone has this uh, parasitic relationship with the next, you know, rung up or the next rung down. Like the Park family, they definitely, you know, there are people that above them would consider them leeches, you know, people mm -hmm. who, you know, uh, um, you know, hold office um you know people who just look at uh, look at probably the corporate the, the, the corporate, corporate board yeah. mm -hmm. like because you know for sure this guy is going like in a kind of i mean i want to compare it to like the, the technological aspect to like maybe like elon musk like not that rich but like you know what i mean like somebody like that that's kind of creating these products under some kind of umbrella mm -hmm. he's going somewhere for funding you know that he's like kind of uh, kind of a cloying like uh, parasite in those circles trying to get money for a company while while also you know the people working in his house are obviously uh, have a parasitic relationship to him and, and down and down and down it goes well it's like walt disney too like like um uh ub iWorks was the genius behind the disney corporation he, he's yeah. the, the you know was the lead animator and uh, did all the work that disney got credit for and yet you know do we remember of iWorks you know, I do. I'm a nerd like that, but you know, I, I don't know how y'all roll. Well, um, I, I, I think the Beatles comparison is also interesting in that it, it the, the movie strongly implies that this family is relatively new money. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, the ostentatious house. I mean, that house, by the way, in South Korea. Oh my God. Um, like I, it, it seems rich to us, but like with having lived in South Korea and like what I know, what a, like a two bedroom apartment actually cost in Seoul. I was like, holy crap, you have a yard. I have never seen a yard in South Korea. And in the middle of Seoul, oh my God. Yeah. And I have, um, I, have a, I have a clip, uh, the next one that I'm going to play is about um, the, the process of designing that house. And Bong Joon-ho actually was the one that created the blueprint for that house, which is a very interesting mm -hmm. fact because he's obviously not an architect. Um, so there's kind of a funny moment in that. But, um, but yeah, no, I mean... Sorry, continue. I just wanted to. Um... No, I mean, so the way the way the way housing works in South Korea is this thing called key money. Um, almost nobody owns a house, uh, even if you're rich. Um, but key money is this thing. It also exists in Japan, but those are the only places I know that use it, where you put down massive deposits on an apartment, and that lowers your rent. But when I say mm -hmm. massive, I mean like. Like a modest one bedroom apartment in Seoul, if it requires key money, could have a minimum key money deposit of, of the equivalent of 80 of 80 K. And like um, usually they're more like 200,000 
to 300,000 USD. And that's only been, and that's been skyrocketing in the last decade too. And I'm talking in prices that are 10 years old. So mm. like that's, that, that's why those like basement par- apartments exist and stuff, it, because the size of the, the size of the Kim, um, the Kim's apartment actually isn't that abnormal, even for a middle-class person. It's where it's at. Um, it's the fact that it's in the basement. Cause if you've ever been in Seoul in the summer, it floods constantly. Um, and it was, it know. was funny. It was funny rewatching this, um, as it kind of happened in New York city mm-hmm. and you know, <laughs> yeah. me, cause, no, cause I, cause I was in New York city for the weekends and, uh, in the Bronx and like, you know, I mean, I was at an Airbnb, so it wasn't like I was anywhere near anything that flooded, but like, I, I watched a lot of people that I know in the city. Cause I, I live like, you know, an hour and a half from New York city. I guess city, you're like. taking my dating advice. <laughs> no, so I, so I live, so I live, um, you know, an hour and a half from the city. So I have a lot of friends that are there or that have moved there or, you know, I was born there. So like, um, like it's interesting, like watching the subway is fully flood and, and watching like even, even the dumb, like, uh, whatever, um, videos, people trying to jump in the water, which why the fuck would you ever do that? But, um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It seemed to happen in a place that, you know, I mean, New York city floods, but not, to the level that it did this weekend. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I think we're going to see a lot more of that worldwide, but I mean, yeah. in Korea, the, the, I mean, like Seoul is in a basin between a bunch of mountains. Like we, like we need to remember that. And like Korea has a monsoon season. Um, and so the, the city, the surrounding area, it's also surrounded by a bunch of rivers, which all overflow all the time. The Han, the Osan. Um, I mean, in my first year in Korea, I was stuck on the 12th floor of an apartment because the entire first floor of the apartment building, which they didn't put an apartment on, so apparently they knew, um, had flooded out, and we didn't have power. And, like, so you'd walk, you know, and that was, like, for a week and a half. And if I had to go to work, I kind of swam to the bus stop. I mean, not not literally swam, but pretty close. And if you were in a basement apartment, your apartment would have been entirely underwater. Like, so the, uh, the, the flooding out thing that happens in there, I have not, I have lived through that happening really bad in Seoul once. And that's the same thing I'm describing. Um, but, um, I'm pretty sure it happens every few years where there's just, where everybody in those low bottom apartments just get flooded out and they have to go to like a, like one of the city sitters and hang out for a few days and they probably lost all their stuff because it's all waterlogged. And, um, and the, the thing about this is you have to remember Korea is not a poor country at all. Like, like in some ways technologically and whatnot, Korea is ahead of the United States. So it's, it's, uh, but if you're, if you're poor there, it's one thing. Another thing is the smell stuff that comes up all the time. You know, some of that's related to that, but like, if you're a poor person in Korea and you're at the ground level, you constantly kind of smell of trash because that's just how you dispose of your food garbage. You leave it out and on the side of the street and the streets in South Korea, uh, kind of stink. And I don't say that disparagingly. It's just the way they do trash pickup. They do pick it up. Um, but, it, but again, so the lower down in the apartments you are, the more like you are to smell. And that comes up over and over again. Have you, ever, like uh, have you ever smelled have you ever smelled new york city after it rains yeah gross 
yeah. it's gross. No. <laughs> uh, and I also imagine like like it probably smells a bit like uh, during a garbage strike because I, I was in Toronto once during a garbage strike. It was um not good, folks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I going on this uh, topic, I guess. Um, I I found this a very interesting that um the the house plays obviously a really big role in it, and I have one one clip with uh, Bong Joon Ho and other people talking about the house as a character, the set designer talking about the, the rich house as a character. And then I mean, um, both houses after, are a character really. Yeah. No. So after, so after they're both parasites, that, too. <laughs> after watching that, I, um, and we, we could talk about it. And then I have a clip of, uh, the, the semi basement, um, uh, you know, it's like the Korean news kind of explaining the semi basement situation and trying to kind of gloss over it. And then Bong Joon Ho talking about the semi like, so I thought those were two interesting clips split back to back. And then we can get into like the more fun, uh, stuff with the, with the meme ranking and the, and, and Trump and, uh, <laughs> talking about the parasite win. But I thought this was important to, um, play briefly here. Um, Uh, pre-existing aspects, one that you build. If, if it, if it, um, I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it seems to me that a lot of the anxiety, the the class anxiety, is actually built into the structure of the house, with the upstairs and the wide spaces and the sunlight and the downstairs. How much of that is coming from the script and from Bong, and how much of that is your idea? Uh, when director Bong first gave me the scenario and he was talking to us about the house, um, he made it clear that there was a certain uh, line and a path that he wants the actors to follow in the rich house. 어, 그러고 나서 어, 본 감독님께서 시나리오를 쓰시면서 어, 기본적으로 본인 머릿속에 있는 어, 평면도를 저한테 보여주셨어요. Um, so director Bong, when he handed me the scenario, he also provided me with a floor plan that he was imagining. 그래서 기본적으로 그거를 토대로 해서 어, 제가 본 감독님과 계속 얘기를 하면서 어, 디자인을 했고 어, 그러고 나서 어, 제 친구이자 어, 건축가인 친구한테 어, 자문을 구했어요. Um, so that became the basis of our design for the set. Um, and I fortunately had a friend who is an architect. Um, so I was in consultation with him throughout after that in designing the set. 하지만 돌아온 대답은 어, 이거는 어, 건축가가 지은 집이 아니다. 이거는 왜냐하면 어, 그 안에는 분명히 사람이 살수 있을 만한 어떤 것들이 분명히 존재를 해야 하는데 이것은 그런 집이 아니다라고 얘기를 했어요. But actually, when I first showed my architect friend um, the design that director Bong came up with, he actually said that this is not a livable house. He said this is not a living space. Directors. Directors. <laughs> 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 
어, 어찌됐든 저희 입장에서는 프로덕션 디자이너는 화면에 보이는 음, 것들이 가장 중요한 요소이기 때문에 그런 것들을 본 감독님과 계속 대화를 하면서 예, 만들어 나갔습니다. Um, but I still have to manage to um, bring this onto the screen because, as you know, of course, as the production designer, what's most important for me is what is being shown on the screen. Um, so there was a lot of navigating to do there. So, 그 친구한테 그 스토리를 막 설명했던 기억이 나요. 이런 가난한 사람들이 부잣집으로 하나씩 하나씩 침투해 들어가는 얘기 웃기지 않니? 이러고. In a funny way, um, Snowpiercer. Is a horizontal yeah, idea, yeah. and this is a vertical yeah. idea. Yeah, houses. So yeah, as though the lower depths <웃음> are at the bottom and the rich mm. people are at the top, and you carry that through from mm. the start to the finish in this extraordinary structure yeah. that you created. On surface, on surface, it looks quite simple. So the rich house on the top of the hill, and the poor family, the main character, they live in. semi basement kind of 영화로 깊게 들어가면 그게 점점 더 세분화돼 있어요. 그래서 그 여러 더 많은 레이어들을 볼수 있고 이 집의 구조가 결국 영화 내러티브 스토리텔링과 아주 직접적으로 연관돼 있죠. 그래서 집에 대해서 더 설명하면은 그것 자체가 스포일링이 될것 같아서 꺼려지고 있네요. So yeah, I thought that part of it was really interesting, like how much he really thought about the house as an actual uh, character in 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 the film itself, and um, like you know, building the narrative, like the narr the narrative around the house as as the central structure. I wanted to throw out a sort of one liner almost that I like, kind of first thing that occurred to me when I was like rewatching. Uh, the movie, which is that uh, it felt like the class struggle came to the Bates Motel, because like the Bates Motel uh, or Bates Hotel, I forget if it's the motel or the hotel. Bates Motel. Uh, motel, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's kind of like it's supposed to be, and Zizek does the does the this analysis where it's supposed to be the representation of the the id ego and the super ego, and it kind of like um, easily maps onto the the analysis that. Um, Bang Joon-ho brings to the table as well, and it's interesting that he superimposes that on the class struggle because there is an element of like the petty bourgeoisie kind of like playing to the whole. Uh, you know, you have to be civil and polite and like sly and like be the con artist. Uh, there's a very cool Dina Hashim bit. Like shout out to her uh, comedian uh, from New York yeah. City. Yeah, and like she has this beautiful bit in which she says like. Uh, Um, Republicans like themselves, uh, conservatives like themselves a con man, um, and liberals like themselves a con artist. Like they want the person to like butter them up first or something like that. And uh, it's 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 kind of the it's kind of that way that uh, you know um, the I forget uh, the names of them. I'm really sorry about the fact that I don't know which families. Which I believe the the rich family is the Park family. Yeah, yeah. the rich family, the Park family, Park family, and the yeah. and the um. The poor families, the Kim family, and I didn't even like register what the other, the third family right. is. Which tells us <laughs> a lot about the fact, <laughs> yeah. right? Which tells us a lot about the fact that, like, you know, uh, what what position that they actually have in the in the whole like socio economic um, hierarchy. Um, <laughs> wow, <laughs> where they that's actually the, that's the Charlie Day. That's the Charlie Day. Uh, 
thing from It's Always Sunny where he has the board <laughs> behind him. More, more or less. <laughs> hey, Sylvia. Well, that way I don't get, you know, Bong, uh, Bong Joo-ho confused with Kang Ho Song, who uh, I love Kang Ho Song. When I was, uh, when I was, when I was preparing, <laughs> when I was preparing for, um, for doing the JFK on, uh, on, on This Is Revolution, um, I like took my ADHD medication and, and I had gotten up at like 3 a.m. and couldn't go back to sleep. So I watched JFK for the first time and I like, it was like 6 a.m. when I finished and I, and I was taking notes and I felt like that fucking uh, that Pepe Sylvia meme because I was like, all right, now I understand everything that Oliver Stone's trying to say. <laughs> One of the things that came up in Parasite, I I zeroed in on uh, Dasong a lot because uh, it made me think of the education system. I don't know Korea as well as Japan, but you know, I know in Japanese culture, like you don't talk about mental illness. Like if you have a mentally ill, if if you're mentally ill. Uh, to the point where you can't really function, you're just going to live with your family and they're going to like keep you a secret pretty much. Yep, same, same in Korea. And I was thinking with Dasong, like they, he was obviously someone who had some special needs, but they were convinced that he was uh, gifted. And that's also, mm -hmm. you know, a big part of the US system where like if you have money, uh, you're gifted. And if you are weird and you don't have money, you're lumped into special education. And you have kids that are in sped classes that are brilliant. That could be, you know, doing amazing things, but then they're kind of lumped in with, you know, other people who don't have the money to test into gifted. I mean, I kind of had the uh, uh, the weird opposite thought um, about that, which is that the song, I think if he was an American kid would have just been pumped like through with Ritalin. Because well, you know, yeah. the, the kind of what it seemed like he had was some form of like attention deficit. I, I don't know whether it would have been, I mean, he might've been like neurodivergent in like, you know, I mean, like in a, but it, but it seems like what he had most of all was like an attention deficit problem, which is you know I think is is a a neoliberal capitalism problem. Like you know what I mean? Like it we've been kind of so um, so pumped full of like you know uh, everything from brands to like logo. Like you know what I mean? Like how can anybody focus on things? But it seems like it, the hyperactivity was what they wanted to um, really mm -hmm. control with him. It didn't seem like. He did. He didn't seem like a kid that had uh, like like severe mental issues. It seemed like he had something more along the lines of ADHD. Um, in my reading of it, so and, I mean, oh, autism and ADHD are on the same spec. You know, are, are yeah. deeply connected. Like, like there's a lot of overlaps. So you know, I, you you can read yeah. it as like high functioning autism or ADHD if you wanted to. Yeah. Um, I think uh, to be completely frank, I do not think that that would have crossed Bong Joon Ho's mind. Um, be uh, I do think the mental illness would have, but not any of the way we're framing it. Um, yeah. um, I just I just think it's funny the American way of dealing with it would have been to pump them full of uh, ADHD drugs and like, you know what I mean, like pacify well, I mean, him. Well, it, but, Korean education is really interesting in that in the younger ages, like if you were to go, if you're used to an American education system, going to degree in kindergarten, you think there's no discipline whatsoever because kids are like running around like crazy also little kids are everywhere in korea like even though it's not there's not like a it's not a high birth country but like mm -hmm. you go into the bar at midnight there's gonna be kids screaming mm -hmm. like um but uh middle school is incredibly brutal so like and they it's like america they, though no, no. <laughs> uh, if it's like Japan, then no, no, no like, probably, like, probably for different reasons. <laughs> um, middle school is incredibly brutal, 
in the sense that like um you that's when you tend to enter into the tutoring are the uh are the hogwan system um cram schools that's when you tend to um so for example i i i, I used to teach teachers so i went into a middle school in, in south korea after they made corporal punishment illegal all right <laughs> Um, that abuse show. I'm, I'm stating I'm stating that for a reason, okay? Um, and I went into this uh, semi-rural um, uh, middle school as a foreign observer, and a kid had slightly too long hair. The gym coach called him in front of the entire uh, lunchroom, punched him in the stomach, and and knocked him down. Wow um for for a dress code violation um another time that we we witnessed was in a, a sixth grade thing and all this is blatantly illegal under korean law like this is not okay in korea I just want to like this is like like the, um but it's so culturally accepted that like mm -hmm. elementary school you're allowed to be crazy and then middle school slam hard um uh another example of that was uh a gym class and Wait, somebody you know, was skipping. You know how old uh, the song was supposed to be in this? I, I don't. I don't. It, was he supposed to be like eight or nine? I He's think? supposed to be eight or nine. He's like, he's like yeah, right yeah. in that trans route to enter that transition yeah. period. That's how I read it. Um, okay. Um, I just wanted to. I just wanted to clarify that before. Um, so yeah. some of his behavior, I don't think, would have been considered out of like just even that odd in South Korea. Mm -hmm. uh, what would have been considered odd is how imperious he is with his parents. Um, that would be kind of unheard of. Like, you just don't do that. Um, but it also seems like the parents weren't... They're not bothered by it. Yeah, uh, yeah they're yeah. not. Which well, seems that, like... That's which... the Confucianism that, that uh, I brought up before uh, we started filming. Um, uh, because because that's a large part of um, uh, that, that region of uh, Asia's uh, culture. Uh, it's It has to do, you know, a lot with... Uh, class but also like how the you know how everybody uh you know um deals with each other and how, how they understand so so like when you meet somebody you want to know who's the elder person so they could um you know mm -hmm. show the the other people respect and so they would try to find out how old you are and and you know where you fit on their their you know like mm -hmm. what your job is and how you fit into the different uh categories so so it's a very class-based in a very different way you know like, like you know europeans don't have the the uh divvied up age uh thing like like uh koreans do but like uh confucius said something like um you know the leader is the leader the father is the father the son is the son um which basically yeah. means that everybody has their place and you must respect the people who are within the place uh and it's kind of uh, and i hope i'm not screwing this up too much because i'm no expert on confucius but uh I, i've done enough to make myself look like i know what i'm talking about I, I would say that one thing I would say is like if you if you overgeneralize about Confucianism in East Asia, you, you can get in trouble. But you're actually right in, in terms of Korea. Uh, Korea is probably uh, Confucian social norms are probably more instantiated there because it's part of the founding of the Chosun dynasty um, than than anywhere else in East Asia. Like definitely more than Japan, definitely more than China, where Confucian is actually from. Yeah, it was um, like pushed heavily by the state too. Um, yeah, it, it was for a long which time. Which is actually why I know so much about it is because I've studied Chinese art history. So you know, mm -hmm. right? I, I got so, a good foundation. So the one thing I would say is that the way that, like, we're reading this as ADHD, um, 
and and there is some talk of schizophrenia, which w that Jessica. Uh, yeah, but that does. seems to be more of played for, kind of played for laughs. In, it's in it's it's her actually <laughs> playing Miss Kim, but it's also showing that they can get away, that they too can get away with massive social, um, that this family's rich enough that that they don't feel the social pressure in the same way because Jessica crosses a major line by bringing mm. that up. Like that That's is a insane. bigger deal than like when she freaks out, yeah. like you would think that Jessica just sabotaged. If you're Korean, you think that Jessica just sabotaged the job interview. Like she might've sabotages Kiwoo's uh, Kevin's like future too. Like, but well, you also, you also kind of think that in just in universalist terms, when Kevin grabs the uh, grabs the the or uh, when when he grabs the daughter's hand like that, I think in front of the mother, in kind of like a an almost like romantic sense, like you know what I mean. I feel like I feel like there's a there's a moment there where just universally, like yeah, that that's like, also a social violation, but not yeah. it actually wouldn't it be as big as one as saying that you the son is crazy. Yeah. yeah. No, um, no, I'm sure. I'm sure not. But I, yeah, cause, I, I cause also, you, you know, the, you're supposed to yeah. be seen as the uh, the elder of there. Like, like you're supposed to take care of it. So if it was a, uh, you know, uh, you know, maybe it, it could be argued that he wasn't grabbing her hand in a romantic way, like we saw it, but but as as a as a you know fatherly kind of way. Yeah. No, but I I think that the way that they play it is what I'm saying is that you mm -hmm. feel like maybe maybe the fact that because you you watch her like you watch the mother in the background watching this and there there are some ways i think in which you're, you're watching her watching this interaction and and this interaction is layered for multiple reasons because when he starts talking about vigor that's what um the daughter says about men he's or i think in, in the beginning or they said these college students are so vigorous and then mm -hmm. he, he comes in later and he's like oh you need to have vigor like it's it's the same thing that i was talking about with with the taking in information and then kind of regurgitating it as like your own you know what i mean throughout the, the movie they're kind of evolving this con um but i i think that i i don't think that i mean she's hired as an art therapist which already I, i'm guessing i i don't know so uh, this is i guess to you varn but the the idea of kind of a, a therapist in general if it's a pretty elite idea yeah. like like i knew people who had who had mental who had mental health issues uh expats from Europe and the United States and South Korea. And it like, they, you would have to hide it and you couldn't easily go to therapy. And if you did and your boss found out you were going to be deported. So yeah. like, like it was, so that's a super elite thing and also kind of transgressive. Um, but it's interesting yeah, that, that's, that's that she comes in as an art me. tutor and then becomes an art therapist. Like, cause mm -hmm. even there, like you wouldn't have, no what even even the park family wouldn't advertise that like yeah um so but but what's interesting if you like look at the social transgressions the ones that get people fired are the ones that they care about smell tuberculosis which i guess kind of makes sense but they're all things you can't that control would you, that would get you fired here right there what well, yeah yeah um <laughs> I had a tuberculosis scare once and I was like, Oh my God, I'm not going to be able to teach. And then I didn't have, yeah, that's fun. the first thing they, they make you do is take a TB test to get right. certified. Right. Yeah. But, um, yeah. The, long, long story. I've, you know, uh, been sick in many foreign countries. So, but I had a TB scare. It ended up being something else. <laughs> um, but um, one of the things yeah, that allergic to peaches, right? Yeah, I, sure. 
But if you like look at what the look at what the, the social transgressions are, the ones that people can control are not punished. The ones that people can't control are. Like yeah. that's an interesting thing. That's a very mm. subtle thing that I actually didn't notice the first time I watched the movie, but I was watching it for you guys. I was like, oh yeah, they're violating well, all these social norms. The one the one that the guy is the, oh, the, the, the driver. car driver is the only exception, right? Yeah. And that's also the one that's completely made up. Like that it, like yeah. it's a it's a complete setup. Like yeah. I I but remember also, um, mm-hmm. I I remember watching Parasite in uh in the theater when it first came out and the idea for a leftist podcast came like in 2019 like in my mind after watching Parasite and I just didn't have the courage to do it instantly but um like I remember laughing hysterically with like I watched it with my brother and we were both laughing the entire movie because you know the the way that they play those scenes where they're setting everybody up is just so ridiculous. Um I mean brilliant but just so 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 ridiculous that uh that that it just it got kind of played as almost like a hysterical montage. Um but but in some ways but in some ways you know that's that's the that's when you kind of realize um how uh how how i guess how much sympathy and admiration almost that bong joon ho has for these characters in the kim family specifically because like the the fact that they script out they script out mm-hmm. everything when they're they're doing the uh tuberculosis setup you know what i mean like and right. then they show the like the re like he's very he's going against this kind of bootstraps mentality um under neoliberalism where it's like oh if you're poor you're lazy and saying like no like if you're poor you're unemployed that's all that means because like you you watch the you watch the park family and they are del- like delusional a little bit and kind of slow and not quite like None of them quite connect with anybody else in the family, which is like a very interesting um, fact. And then you watch the, like the Kim family and the amount of effort that they put into these uh, these cons to get everybody fired, like is is insane. Like uh, it, the fact that they've scripted out everything the father is supposed to say, knowing that he's like a good actor, but not necessarily someone that could do that, like improvise that. And he's going like he's, they're doing it back and forth, and they've kind of come up with every single um, they've come up with every like every possible uh thing that could stop the the i mean until you know find the, the you know the the uh original housekeeper knocks on the door like they've come up with all of these ideas about like what if this happens what if that happens and it's kind of like a brilliant like they're just so brilliant about the information that they've taken in right the uh, the only thing that messes it up is the fact that there's already a family that's already done this yeah mm-hmm. I, I do want to answer um, Jay Hutch's question really quickly. I think Varn had Shakazuma's revenge. <laughs> I had typhoid. Um, <laughs> lost parts of my my organs. Um, anyway, uh, so um, the uh, yeah, I think that's I think that's apt. Um, I, it's it's interesting though. Like that, that that cunningness is never used in a solidaristic way, hmm. except yeah. within the family, and that actually is kind of their undoing. Like, so it, it's kind other, of everybody's undoing, undoing. Actually, it's very neoliberal undoing, though. too, though, right? I'm right. Sorry, yeah. But like, no, you know, the just other, the fact the that the power is, is... Like, no, Kenzo, just, <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> just like you know, 
having the power concentrated in the nuclear family is just such a right. neoliberal. I mean, it's not even just neoliberal, it's a capitalist concept. And uh, so I thought, you know, that that was interesting that way that like, you know, if the poor families did come together, you know, they could have gotten their out way out of the situation. But everyone was like kind of fighting for themselves. Yeah, I mean, the, but, the, but at the, the, the question time, of the, the question of property is central, right? Like to the whole movie itself, like in, in addition to the nuclear family, it's like the family home and the idea of private property itself. Um, that's why I wonder, like, if this is like actually Bong Joon-ho being more radical by actually appearing less radical uh, than in Snowpiercer, where he was like, you know, uh, overtly fleshing out like a class war, etc. Here, it's like a lot more internecine uh, clashes between the, uh, the the among the working class itself, like between the petty bourgeois and the and the actual the, the blue collar elements. Um, but, uh, or like actually two petty bourgeois elements. So I don't even know if there's actual working class solidarity here. Um, but, uh, given, given the centrality of the, of the house, uh, what do you think of the, the concept of what is, what do you think he's saying to the concept of private property itself? I think there's, I think there's a lot going on with, with private property, particularly in regards to the way that the housing crisis is exacerbated, the way that if you didn't try to own this space, even when they're pairs, literally like squatting in it, the, the, the attempt to own it actually destroys, begins to unravel everything. Mm. And I, I think not to totally give away the film, but I also think that the fact that the only time, like by the time key tech, uh, the father has class solidarity and acts out of that class solidarity. There, there's one time it comes up where key tech is because key tech is ironically given what happens, actually probably the most empathetic member of the family, even more mm -hmm. so than Kevin uh, or Kiwu. Um, but key tech um, is encouraged by his daughter, uh, Jessica, whose name in Korean, I keep forgetting. So that's why I keep following her, Jessica um, uh, is, is um he he at the moment where the other with the secret family shows up the other the other former employees of the parks um is actually a moment right after there's a conversation between Jessica and Keytech where Keytech is thinking about the people that got fired and like worried about it and feeling some solidarity yeah. with him and Jessica says focus on us we have to mm -hmm. you know we have to get and by he's and drunk then the, at the time. yeah and he's drunk exactly and then and at the not, end, of, it's not it's not quite solidarity. It's guilt, and the fact right, that it's, it's guilt, guilt, but it could have been solidarity. Yeah, well, yeah right? it's also 100%. a bit of uh, going back to Confucianism, uh, the the uh, concept that that he has to uh, also be the father to uh, you know the other people around him because he's older, and, and uh, I think he's the oldest character in the besides the guy yeah. in the basement, but but um, he's like the oldest uh, man in the film. So so. In a way, you know, uh, he's he also has, you know, feels that that uh, cultural um, uh, responsibility for those around him. Yeah, but I, I, but I, right. I think the, I think the fact that over and over again that they're acting out of this guilt and not out of solidarity is the undoing because the the way that they treat these characters is like at the last minute they're like, oh, let's make sure they're not dead, or oh, like mm -hmm. I feel bad that they got fired, and it's it's not a solidaristic action. And I think the family is an incredibly important part of this movie because you could say in some ways you could have inc like incorporated 
other people into that family, other working class people. And the fact that it is kind of that they like the, the uh, parasitic, I guess, metaphor kind of uh, goes around the fact that they've kind of replaced all of these other all these other workers that, you know, instead of feeling some kind of solidaristic feelings towards them, they think of themselves as their replacement. And then at the, when they're at that point where, you know, the older workers are just that destitute dying, it's charity. It's broke people yeah. helping out uh, poor people, absolutely destitute people. And like one of the things that was also occurring to me talking about housing was I, w I was looking at this a lot through a Japanese lens just because it's the closest uh, framework that I have. And in Japan, there basically are like two types of people who own property. There are people that have. Like in my family, we live in rural Japan, and that the same house is passed down for generations. When the oldest, though the oldest son stay, is supposed to stay back, raise a family, their grandparents help out, die off, and then they inherit the house. And like for my family's house, it was like a one level. And then when more kids came into the picture, they had to build up because they don't have zoning laws the way they do now. So you can just do that. But also, like, land is such a premium that uh you know you people aren't buying property and then like the other group of people who own property are wealthy people because like you know barn what you're talking about with the key money like it's virtually impossible to own something so it's not so much in a people's framework um especially people in living in living in cities that you know you you know have a right to a home or something that you know is within possibility so I would say the Japanese context would actually help you with the Korean context with one exception. That rural stuff um, that you're talking about was riped out by the Japanese in Korea. Um, it's just, you know, just to, to point out, like, why that might be a sore point if Korea's gotcha, listening to this yeah. podcast. But um, if you go even if and this is actually an interesting developmental thing about about South Korea. If you go even into rural areas now, those those high rise apartment complexes are there. It is very rare. In fact, you pretty much have to live in a protected historical district to find old style housing or single or single dwelling housing unless you are ultra rich. Mm -hmm. So like that's just right, basically so kind of unheard of. This this cues up, I guess, this last uh movie based clip before the Trump one and the memes, um, which is kind of uh a this is, I think, damage control. This is damage control from a South Korean news station uh, first trying to justify where the semi-basement um, houses come from. But then after that, it's uh, it's Bong Joon-ho and the uh, actor that plays Kevin kind of talking about um, the design. So this is this is our, our last uh, non-Trump related um, <laughs> parasite clip. Oh, and the actor is Woo Seek Choi. The Perkin family has to go down a set of stairs to their Banjiha, with Ban meaning semi and Jiha meaning basement in Korean. Parasite juxtaposes the Kim's squalid semi-basement flat against the rich Park family's airy mansion to mirror the wealth gap between the Kim and Park families. Parasite is a work of fiction, but Banjiha is not. Outside Bong's fictional world, Banjiha is a housing option that has provided homes for urban dwellers hunting for affordable housing in South Korea, mainly in Seoul. This week, Korea will look into the Banjiha, where hundreds of thousands of people end up living while they work hard and hope for a better future.
The history of semi-basement flats dates back to 1970, when the government mandated basement floors in construction projects. Some foreign media reported that the Panjia originated from an air raid shelter created by the danger of war with North Korea, but it was not confirmed. As the city's population swelled in line with the country's rapid industrialization, the underground spaces eventually became an inevitable alternative. In 1984, the government relaxed regulations along basement flats to be built higher, with half of them being underground and half above ground, coining the term Panjiha. The move was seen as legalizing underground residences, which had already become a regular housing option for the needy. Decades later, Panjiha is still a cheap housing option in the city, where median apartment prices have topped 900 million won. Almost 760,000 U.S. dollars, while the minimum monthly wage stands at 1.8 million won, around 1,500 U.S. dollars. There were more than 360,000 households living in basement or semi-basement flats in 2015, accounting for 1.9 percent of all households, according to the latest data by the Stateland Korean Statistical Information Service. Some 62 percent of these basement flats were located in Seoul. Reflecting the staggering property prices in the capital, where one fifth of the national population lives, in South Korea, Panjiha typically represents the lowest social class or poverty. Some even argue that the existence of Panjiha is a proof that Seoul's gap between rich and poor is serious, as seen in the film. Panjiha is not the most pleasant place to live in. The family's toilet, which ironically sits higher than other areas of the house to prevent flooding, nonetheless spews out filthy sludge during a flood. Light is a scarce resource with the sunlight touching the house only in limited times of the day, causing the walls to move. The well of Mr. Park found a Kim Gitak stench, which his daughter later sums up as a smell the Kim family will only be able to get rid of when they move up from the moldy flat. But things are changing, albeit slowly. First of all, the number of these basement flats is actually declining. A rush of urban redevelopment projects are bringing down old buildings with these semi-basement flats. There has also been a shift in how some Panja dwellers think about their homes. A quick search on social media using the hashtag Panjiha fetches thousands of photos of semi-basement houses renovated in style. For them, it is no longer something to be ashamed of. Therefore, critics point out that it is inappropriate to magnify the existence of Panjiha to the extreme inequality in South Korea. Or simply generalize Panja residents as being poor. On the other hand, however, it is also true that moving up the ladder still seems to be quite difficult, as we can see the Kim family eventually going back to their own place in the movie. The first scene is view from my house. 한국에선 반지하라고 하죠. Semi basement is very specific the, the way of the Korean living for the poor people, but actually. Semi basement means also semi overground. Yeah, so it gives you like a little bit of uh, hope because it's not like fully underground, but half away. Actually, yeah, this is the. It looks like a real location, but actually, it's all all made up. Yeah. So this whole street, this building. <laughs> Actually, until yeah, until this is the borderline. Yeah. Uh, this is the whole set. That the, the more far background is the VFX. We had this computer uh, graphic. Blue screen here, right? Yeah. 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 And then, yeah. And production design team, they did such a great job. And actually, 
이 여기 표면에 보이는 간판이나 이런 재료들은 만든 게 아니라 띄어온 거예요. Yeah, we actually 네. 실제 가난한 동네에서 띄어왔지. And one guy is coming. Your friend is coming. Yeah, so I included that last part of it, Andy, because I wanted to, um, I wanted to kind of call back to uh, when we did when we talked about Mad Max, and uh, one of the things that you know George Miller was talking about with Fury Road is that they salvaged pretty much everything in the movie. So I thought it was really interesting that in this neighborhood that they kind of designed as a set, they like salvaged uh, a lot of stuff. And and um, Bong Joon Ho is someone that actually has talked about Fury Road. Like he's you know he's been on. Uh, panels with George Miller and you know talked about it. So it's interesting that he kind of took that model of um, set design because I think that that's a really amazing uh, model of set design. Well, Especially I mean, whenever like he the, did uh, the host, um, uh, he wanted uh, the the creature to look sexier. Like um, if I remember correctly, I think it was uh, Benicio del Toro who they tried to make the creature look like. Yeah, um, but but. <laughs> Uh, so, so, I mean, he really does think about things in a very unique way, uh, when it, when it comes to approach of looks of everything. So, so well, he, I always, well, I always appreciated has, that. He has 5,000, he says he has either 5,000 or 6,000 DVDs in his DVD collection. So like That's the, the amount of time he spent watching international movies, because they're not like, it's not like he has a certain, like he has all kinds of movies in this DVD collection. He's talked about it pretty endlessly. So it's like. He, the the way that he watches movies is like insane compared even to um you know compared even to like directors in in the United States that are like oh well we watch a lot of movies like I understand like like this this is he gave himself like a crash course in international cinema and you know you could tell with Snowpiercer especially like that's something that he he thought a lot about but like with Parasite too um I mean every single movie I've seen of his yeah. Yeah, he um, definitely comes to the level of like being an educated, uh, I mean, filmmaker as far as like just being aware of, uh, and and he also references so many movies um, in in like his his films as well. Like uh, there are there are a lot of references to films that we have. Like I I thought of how much the set design and the and the kind of movement in this film um, is almost like the, the, this film is in constant motion. Uh, like every scene like moves into the other and like where there is a pause it's almost like extremely deliberate and a lot of the way that the blocking and the characters behave uh, a lot of the actions uh, seem reminiscent of like Jean-Pierre Jeannot and uh, like uh, Amelie or like Delicatessen uh, these type of movies which are like extremely visual in nature and also interestingly showcase like a certain kind of I think he's the guy who I believe made the 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 good alien movie right like uh also well, it was a terrible movie but but yeah it was, it was alien uh, four direction oh he made alien i thought he would, I, I thought he made aliens alien two who made no, no, that's james cameron that's james cameron that's james cameron still okay alien two is the good one so <laughs> i don't know um but I, mean, I, I appreciate and I think alien that, four <laughs> no i think that what you're saying with pauses is on point and i think that a lot of times when he pauses in this movie it's to show you where they're learning uh, where they're learning to continue their con. Because the, the one big pause is, is the scene that you pointed out, Karthik, in that message um, that, that right. I can think of, like, the first big pause, where he runs out. And what I noticed this time rewatching it after your message is um, 
when Min first stops the homeless guy uh, or, you know, the drunk guy peeing outside, he says, get a grip. Like that's it, which, but he says it in like an authoritative tone, like, like get a grip on yourself, which obviously, you know, in a more um, Confucian and hierarchical society, you know, is kind of a, an authoritative thing to say to someone else. When, uh, when Kevin runs out um, with, with the, with the, with the bucket and, gives water on him he yells after the guy's already peeing on him get a grip which as the father runs out which you know the double meaning is like number one like the the father needs to get it get a grip on the thing to like hit him with the water and also you know like so it's not an authoritative tone it's not like a respectful tone it's his class is kind of shown within that because the, the guy right. doesn't have respect for him in the same way that when min comes out and says get a grip like the guy stops peeing and like you know, is more cloying. So there's that pause. And then the other pause, that's the most amazing one, um, like visually and just, you know, uh, that sticks with you is the flooding. Um, hmm. and, and then the flooding, obviously, you know, you get to see the, the failure of their plan and, and everything unraveling, which I think does come from a lack of solidarity. But then you also see the next scene, which is, you know, the, uh, the Park family throwing a party. And she says, like, oh, it was raining yesterday, but, um, but like, oh, well, isn't it kind of a blessing? Like, lemons into lemonade, like, the, the pollution, you know, there's no more pollution in the sky, which, when you look at their apartment flooding with literal shit water, yeah. is the entire thing is polluted. But her version of it is like, oh, lemons into lemonade, like, we're not, you know, our, everything's no longer polluted, isn't it beautiful? And it's like, so even the, even the public space, even the outdoor space is commodified. And even the outdoor space responds to that same, um, to those same class incentives, because for rich people, you know, the rain means like all of a sudden, like it's beautiful outside the next day, and it smells like rain, and you know, you can just get drunk in the daytime, as they say in the movie. And for you know, poor people, their house is filled with shit water and is literally forever polluted. <laughs> I like so, the fact that she still lights a cigarette sitting on the toilet. That's kind of uh, like. Uh... That's how yeah. it is, right? Like you kind of you kind of get through it by uh, by taking that break. Um, it's almost and that's like kind of uh, how. Yeah, go. On. I was just gonna say, like, like Winona Ryder at, at the end of Heather's with the cigarette dangling out of her mouth. That similar visual. Well, you also um, obviously this is a Chinese movie, not a Korean movie, but like Kung Fu Hustle, where the land mm -hmm. the landlady that mm -hmm. has the lion's roar has the cigarette dangling out of her mouth the entire movie. It's like kind of a, a sign of like. It's like a, a working class toughness, a working class sheen right. that you can only like that's honestly really beautiful in some ways and strong and powerful, mm -hmm. but that you can only really get from this working class suffering. I mean, even even as a even as some kind of landlady in that movie, like it's still it like their their poverty kind of gives them this this rough uh, exterior that that is is kind of like a beautiful thing to witness. I and, I and it's prescient that it's also the character who dies. I mean, yeah. not to spoil them. <laughs> but I, I was about to say, like, I, I think kills, you know. <laughs> I think Bong Joon Ho actually really doesn't is really wary of romanticizing poverty. Um, I think that yeah. I don't think it just comes up in this movie. Um, and, and Jessica being both the resi the resilient one, but also kind of the the person who is the most self-interested in a way that is totally rational. This is like, a, I always object to like 
when when you know highfalutin communists start talking about false consciousness because I'm like, well, no, it's a difference in short term versus long term consciousness because if you take the short term apparatus like calculations here, every step they make that actually ends up to the ending of the movie is perfectly fucking logical. Like, yeah. and Jessica is the voice of that, like over and over and over again. It's um, it's both it's both logical and absurdist in an almost yeah. fairy tale sense. Well, and the one thing not- I really liked about Jessica is that, like, so you know, Kevin and the they they kind of set the the motion, like, okay, the morality of this family is we're going to, uh, you know, be parasites or whatever off of this wealthier family. So that was already set in motion. But Jessica is just such an aggressive, really funny, if they ambitious person. Like- they that said, she was hey, you guys like, ready to be parasites or whatever? <laughs> the titular line. They the just American version. <laughs> look to the camera. It's parasite time. But, you know, but she was the, like the accelerant. Like, it wasn't her idea, but she's like, okay, we're committed to this shit. And then she's the one that, like, is almost the matriarchal figure in the fam- family in that way. Because she, like, yeah. like, okay, lights well, the fire under everyone's ass. Both, she's both the brains, right? Like she's kind of like the 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 character from uh, Wakanda, the uh, scientist um, Shuri? lady. Um, Shuri? in um, the brother, yeah, the sister sorry, of yeah, the. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, right. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of similar. Like it's a sister character that it's kind of, and it's also similar um, to Snowpiercer, where the the Kim, uh, not the Kim family, but the 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 basement family. Uh, mother also has like a, a similar kind of matriarchal, um, you know, attitude about her, where she's supposed to be the gatekeeper, uh, but then she kind of um, is made to, you know, eat shit and um, you know leave uh, the house by the the one that upstages her, um, you know. So do, it's kind of interesting. I, I do love the line though, where she's like, they're they're all like kind of kissing Min's ass about giving them the scholar rock, and she said food would be better. Right. Um, yeah. Which, which is like the most perfect, like you know, pe- like poverty, like poverty line, I guess, in terms of like rich people are always like, oh, let's give you a gift that has no actual bearing on your situation. Like, let's give you a gift that's literally pointless. I'm gonna give you a like rock. a coffee mug instead of like yeah. an actual bonus. So yeah, the there's a there's a, a whole, <laughs> but th- there's an irony to that too. I mean, th- there's something yeah. being shown about because men is actually giving them food. Like, yeah, like men is coming there. The scholar rock is actually like a symbolic thing for the thing that he does do, which is like, I want you to weirdly and believably actually to watch. I want you to watch the 14 year old girl. I want to bang. Yeah. That I want to, that I want to marry. Um, because, because uh, you're a cuck and I know you're not gonna, I know you're not gonna get it. So, right. But also (laughs) like you get, There, there's class stuff with men too. Men is not rich. Men is in the intermediary, yeah, social class. And, and mm-hmm. I was gonna, I was gonna ask about that because mm, I think that Min is a character that is kind, it kind of symbolizes their class aspirations. It is halfway mm. between, you know, an upper class situation. He's clearly not, but also like, you know, upper class enough that his, uh, his, his grandfather is able to like collect scholar rocks and not like, you know, collect food for all of them. Like, and I think, I think that it's a pretty, I mean, common thing, even in the U S that, you know, you'll have like, cause I've, I'm someone that's never been, you know, like my, my, my mom at least is like, you know, her, the middle-class status of it has never, like, she's never really made that moment. You know what I mean? Like, 
so it's kind of always been like a like a more lower class life that i have but like you still do interact with people that and make friends with people that aren't necessarily that are above your uh social class i guess in that way like so sometimes you do have people that lift you up in that sense and i think that the way that they do it isn't like some kind of like oh men's their savior like it's a, it's a very realistic like you probably mm-hmm. like kevin had gone to school with him and become friends and then he's like you know what you're kind of harmless um they he invites he invites the the, the titular parasite into the situation because it's kind of like you're harmless and then from there it spreads right. um he which, was harmless until he actually cr- crossed the threshold into the rich house and started yeah, gaining right. that information like you were talking about. Which, which but, kind of makes the house kind of the makes the house the host. Right. Sense. Like, right. The, but, like, yeah, I, I think it's interesting, though, uh, to to think about like the, the, the criterion, because half of what man is doing is utterly selfish. But the other half that men says is like. You're you're not a drunkard at a Korean university who who actually doesn't really know anything and has only gotten that position because mm-hmm. of your of your social status. Mm-hmm. So you actually probably can really teach her well enough that you're not gonna hurt my reputation. Yeah. Um so and, and it shows that he's not totally comfortable with the drunken frat frat boys right. in that university either. Well, I mean it's not and 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 well, what he's not comfortable with is that they're not really competent. Like the drunkenness in Korea has yeah. no, no. But, but it seems like, but it seems like Min in some ways was competent enough at least to teach her. You know what I mean? Like, right. which is where the intermediary, intermediary status comes from, I think. Right. And, and, and Kiwoo is also competent enough because he says you've taken the, the interest exam three times. And, and this is, this is a kind of commentary on capitalism and imperialism in Korea. Um, that to get into university in Korea, you have to be good not at spoken English because even when the even when the rich family speaks English is usually slightly wrong and hard to understand. Um, but at at a kind of written English to get through those exams, it's super important. There's an like all these Americans who go who go who teach at these hagwans, um, it, it, which is like 90% of the people who, who from the United States, Canada, South Africa, uh, etc., who teach in Korea. Um they go just so people can pass that test. That is yeah. all that it is about. Um, and so, like, it's a- it was actually interesting to me. Um, one of the things th- that's interesting about South this Korea. Has to be, this has to be the last point before we get into the fun stuff. Right. Because we're, okay. we're, hitting, that, we're hitting that point really fast. Yeah. Um, very <laughs> quickly. Um, is that you also have, you can't legally hire a foreign tutor. It's illegal. Um, although rich families will often do it. Um, if, if, uh, if as a foreigner, you get caught doing private tutoring, uh, without through, through like not through your institution, um, you can, or you, well, I don't know if it's still true, but 10 years ago you get deported. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so that's why they're hiring like a Korean tutor. Cause otherwise they would hire a foreigner, um, for prestige reasons, if no other reason. Um, yeah. So, right. so yeah, that's so- the last point. Yeah, sorry. I I just I'm trying to get through those last ten minutes. I really want Kenzo to be here to rate the parasite memes. So that's kind of like the reason that I you know. So yeah, and right. I also have this to is, leave. Yeah. All right. So so this is this is quickly. It's forty seconds. It's the Trump uh the Trump response, and then we'll look at the parasite memes and we'll rank them very quickly. But.
Wait, how bad were the Academy Awards this year? Did you see it? <laughs> and the winner is a movie from South Korea. What the hell was that all about? We got enough problems with South Korea with trade. On top of it, they give them the best movie of the year. Was it good? I don't know. You know, I'm looking for like, where, where, let's get Gone with the Wind. Can we get like Gone with the Wind back, please? <laughs> Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> great movies. The winner is from South Korea. I thought it was best foreign film. Best foreign movie. No, it was the button. Did this ever happen before? This ever happened before. By the I mean, way, it is a histor historic film, like really though. I mean, I have to say it's probably like one of the best movies of the century so far, like yeah. have been made. But and it's but also, like and it's definitely no warranted. <laughs> There's no way that Trump understood the point of Sunset Boulevard. That's, no. that's and also he was just kind fast of... forwarding to the scenes where Jean-Claude Van Damme was fighting. Uh. <laughs> and he probably just like gone with the wind because there's rape in it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, no. Well, I remember the whole thing about uh, Bloodsport. Like he'd watch it with uh, one of his uh, fail sons and they would just fast forward it <laughs> to the fight scenes and wouldn't actually watch the movie. So like, I just imagine that's how he watched Gun with the Wind is like, you know, that's the party fast forwards to. And then, and then, you know, uh, to the end where he hears his damn and just like, that's it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. Big so fire I, I like, and forced sex. So I, I, this is, this is the, this is the meme rating section of it, I guess. I thought this one was funny today. I saw it on Reddit. Reading a SoundCloud artist in person you've listened to for years, and he says, "You know me." He says, "Respect." <laughs> I know that there's, feeling. <laughs> there's, there's a lot more class conscious ones coming up, but I thought that one was funny. Um, oh, this is this is this is my this is the Bradley Whit for not getting the point of Parasite, which, if you remember, he didn't get the point of Get Out. Like he yeah, thought he right, for uh, Obama a third time, he didn't get that. That was like a line kind of making fun of liberals. He's like, yeah, mm -hmm. I would have, sure. <laughs> so sorry. Um, yeah, what a fucking simp. I don't know. I thought that one was funny. I made one of the car meme, uh, but it's it was Lori Lightfoot in the back seat, or no, I labeled the, the, <laughs> the you know in the back seat Lori Lightfoot, and uh, the driver I, I labeled uh, Chicago teachers. Like right when they she forced us back in the line, it, it, it went pretty viral in Chicago. I like <laughs> you could do that for like, any mayor, though. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. You know, and I like call me John D because I'm about to Rockefeller. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's when, when he gets hit with the fucking rock. That one's just Yo, so wholesome. Yeah, I know. I see the ones the ones that I found that were like really class conscious are like at the beginning of the list, so it's going backwards from that. <laughs> oh, that one was twice. Yeah, see, starting it, starting it. <laughs> so they're about to drive into James Corden, is it? Yeah. No, this oh, one. This one. Someone put up this one the other day, and it was when they did the 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 James Corden. Uh, when everyone was dancing in front of the fucking cars. <laughs> we were all thinking it. Yeah. If that, if, I think you know, he I mean, tweeted it. 
I, you know, I, I'm going to use this opportunity to put it out there. If Jay, if someone is thrusting their crotch at your car, that is street harassment. It, it is. <laughs> and you do not have to take it. Oh, is that Especially if it's James Gordon. <laughs> he looks practically, practically, practically a eunuch, I feel like. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was about to say, I, I think I saw something in that clip and it wasn't pleasant. Um, oh, and <laughs> entails he's maybe not a eunuch. All right. Well, but no, this was the this is when all the celebrities fucking sang Imagine at uh, the beginning of the pandemic. And there was another one that was similar to that one that probably was better made. But like. Um, yes, yeah, so I think have a little I, slop on them, though. Yeah, I think the uh, I think starting with the, uh, the 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 James Corden one, that one takes the cake for me. Um, uh, in that list, uh, I don't know. What do you guys think? I know I kind of felt that first one uh, with the, about the uh, the, the um, SoundCloud. SoundCloud, yes. Yeah. Well, I feel that too after Easy because um, my old roommate, like my my former roommate's uh, roommate before me, played at Easy this year and did a really fucking amazing set with like a lot of people fucking listening. So I was like. That's somebody that I knew from like way back that I that I was like, hell yeah, like respect. Um, there was one more that I guess I didn't end up putting on the list, which was um it, it was uh, a trillion dollar slush fund was the was the 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 rich lady, and then it said uh like a twelve hundred twelve hundred dollar stimulus check. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um yeah, I really so like I, the I like the James yeah. Corden one because memes their value is timeliness so and i'm yeah. still a little mad about that as opposed to the imagine one which is, is so long ago now that it, it's probably worse but i don't really i'm not as i'm not mad about it anymore yeah um so i guess this is this is uh time for final thoughts i'll let andy go first really fast because he has to go yeah um, i um uh, yeah no thank you um this was a blast i've been procrastinating watching it because of all the obnoxious people like Bradley Whitford and President Obama watching the movie. <laughs> and I'm just like, do I really want to watch something that these guys are watching? And, and so I, I just, I didn't. Until, I don't think uh, Bradley Whitford watched it. Uh, judging you know, by that. People have really bad takes on these things. Uh, mm -hmm. Speaking of which, that's where I got to go. But I do want to just shout out um, uh, Kang, Song, uh, Kang Ho Song, who, who was uh, who played uh, uh, Kai Take. Um, hopefully I'm getting that right. Uh, but he he was uh, you know he he was kind of the standout in this movie. Um, he he was the one movie star in this film, and you could you can actually see that even though Wu Sik Choi was was fantastic as uh, Kevin. Um, he's not, he's now going to be in a Marvel movie. They they have him yeah. um, in an upcoming Marvel oh, is, movie. Is he? Because so, uh, yeah, I thought yeah, his yeah, co-star no, from uh, Train to Busan was in uh, uh, no, he's, Eternals. He's been he's been uh, he's been tapped for one coming up. Oh. Okay, because um, uh, I loved being... him. Yeah, I loved him in uh, uh, Train to Busan. So, <laughs> yeah, we let's let's do that. Like this month, we'll do a Thursday. We'll do a horror Thursday, which I'm trying to do less streams than we have because literally, I think tomorrow is the two month anniversary of this, and we've done 16 episodes. But um, <laughs> like yeah, but uh, you know, I, I want to do that this this month at some point. So we'll we'll figure that out. But thanks for being on, Andy. All right, thank you guys. Um, it's a great talking to everybody. Andy.
Uh, Kenzo, I'll let you go next because I know you have to go as well. Um, uh, actually, real quick, I want to talk Karthik. You mentioned Wakanda and, you know, from Black Panther. But every time someone talks about Wakanda as a, like a real place, there's a there, there's a town in Illinois called Wakanda, Illinois. And like my fond memories <laughs> of the town is that that's where we go apple picking. But it's actually a really terrible reactionary place. That's one mm-hmm. town over from Antioch where Kyle Rittenhouse is from. Like that's where white that's like the real white flight like you know we have the suburbs and we have exurbs if you're like on the wisconsin border you really are afraid of black people and so that's why it's always they're not saying wisconsin forever i bet you people in wakanda (laughs) hate the fact that their town sounds exactly like wakanda from (laughs) black panther that is pretty funny yeah and I mean, like, I'm glad that you brought up an instance of uh, instance of white flight because it does like this movie does like end on the note of, uh, you know, um, like a complete uh, foreigners buying up the property. So, uh, yeah, on that note, please uh, go ahead. I, I don't want to interrupt your, your flow. Oh, and I just got to head out, actually, uh, put my child to bed. But thanks for having me on for us. Good to see you, Varn. Good to see you, Karthik. And yeah, Andy, um, good to see you wherever you are. This is this is one of those movies I feel like that is like you could talk about for hours and yeah. So yeah, I completely understand. All right, well thanks for being right, on. Take care. I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you tomorrow. All right, um, Karthik, final thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I kind of um, somewhere between the middle, uh, somewhere in the middle of this conversation, I think I started seriously thinking about it uh, from the standpoint of uh, whether Parasite. I mean, at first, I kind of came in thinking *Parasite* is actually uh, a movie where the where the concept of the film, like the literary uh, the the story concept, kind of took over far more than the the politics of it. In a way that it 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 rendered the story so complex that you cannot fully like come out with a with a full full throated like revolutionary statement. Um, and I think that's kind of interesting because it's the it's the revolutionary statement itself that there is no re- real like uprising that's gonna like totally uh, transfer uh, property or power uh, from one group to the other um, in a neat sort of way. There's like losses on all uh, fronts and like nobody really is like a winner, so to say. And like the house actually moves over to a, a kind of like like uh, you know we just noted a foreign buyer and and it kind of even raises the question of whether um a lot of you know indigeneity and like and all of that is getting uh, sacrificed um in this like struggle um among like the underdog to keep the you know the, the roof over their own heads and that they end up kind of like losing their sovereignty in the process um and i and, and it made me like think of a lot of these kind of questions and i think that's what makes uh, really great art like the what makes bong joon ho a really great artist singularly because He's able to not like allow you to walk away with these kind of uh, straightforward interpretations, uh, kind of like Hitchcock, kind of like um, you know. That's why he, I think, um, when when Trump says like you know a movie from South Korea, I feel like Bong Joon Ho really is an exception to any kind of just like a, a international film getting nominated or an international filmmaker who's good uh, in his or uh, her or their respective industry. Uh, I think he has like a vision that. Um, I think totally transcends uh, politics even and like gets into uh, the story very intricately. Um, and I think that like maybe that's that's something that happened here, which which didn't really happen with Snowpiercer. 
uh, which I, I would really like to hear what you two have to say about that, because maybe it's a little less political is something that I thought, uh, because the, the story kind of absorbs a lot of the politics into the complexity that, you know, it's, it's hard to close this story in a neat, uh, with a neat political statement. Well, I think I, what one political statement, and then I'll let Barn go, I just have one quick one to say um, that I got at the end of this movie every time I've watched it, is that the potentially, like the potential, the artistic potential, the creative potential, the work ethic of people in the lower classes that aren't necessarily getting in any capacity to um, express that, because it, it's the people in the upper classes that get to express their creative potential and their potential as kind of intellectuals and thinkers like the the fact that you know the the lower classes aren't getting to express that potential is something that's actually detrimental to society which is a thing that i 100 percent agree with but it is a statement that bong joon ho is making because the society that he's he's creating within this movie is not efficient whatsoever there's no efficiency right. to people kind of faking their way through these technological um ideas like like Mr. Park being the head of a company, like um, like the song being able to kind of just be eight and like instead of having, uh, you know, if whether or not he has mental illness, like just be thought of as a creative genius for for you know because his parents are kind of um, whether whether that's a cultural thing or whether that's just in general you know being young parents like which is something they allude to within the movie like it, it's you know as the sister says like he's kind of faking it, so the idea that you know that the most hardworking and like amazingly creative people in the movie are not, you know, they're able to express it in terms of this con that they're pulling. They're not able to express it within a, a way that's going to um, benefit uh, society as a whole. So I think that that is kind of a revolutionary statement. Um, yeah. It's a little pessimistic also, you know, like in a way, um, the, the fact that um, the, the basement dweller, uh, bangs his head against the, uh, you know, the switchboard, uh, the the switch to send the signal in Morse code. Uh, smacks of like a creative solution in a desperate kind of situation. Yeah. It's Which an is extremely what they all, they all smack of. Um, yeah, this movie. <laughs> that's right. And, and the thing is that like the, the 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 amount that gets accomplished is very little, right? You're only able to send a brief like a signal of hope. It's almost like barely any hope uh, that you have. Uh, which is the same as the the kind of the, it's interesting that the architect uh, in the video clip alluded to this as well because um, the basement um, from the basement house you it's also half up and like he's able to see that uh, there is hope involved in the fact that you can see some amount of the street uh, I think that's the kind of way that you know back um, at the end they're all back in the basement and the dad is like you know just like uh, pressing the switch to communicate to the son and hoping that he reaches um so yeah. it's kind of like a very uh, i don't know what that hope represents um i don't know how much hope that is and uh and i it definitely sounds a lot bleaker than you know snowpiercer even though snowpiercer was like still only two people survived uh more yeah. survival rate here uh but still like it seems far bleaker I, 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 yeah i just i guess my final thought on on, on what you're saying is um, I don't think Bong Joon-ho would have thought of this, but I, I think that also allowing um, like a lot of the poorest people in uh, cities across America to see the cityscape, like especially in New York City, the fact that they can kind of witness a, a cityscape that to a lot of people represents endless possibility. Um, mm. Architecturally, um, I think it is a similar kind of um, 
hope in desperate situations. But yeah, Varn, sorry. I so I think it's even bleaker than you think. Um and and um I think it's deliberately bleaker than you think. Um I think there's a there is a there is a social realism to the ending. And that is what Kiwu takes away from that from the SOS letter that he eventually puts together is not that he should rescue his father. It's not that he should, you know, embrace the, the solidarity, which his father actually does embrace in an act of, of, of revenge. that doesn't ends up not meaning much. Um, yeah. I mean, mean um, really nothing. To right. The, to the broader society. It means right. something to him maybe, but like he doesn't quite, I don't think know why he did it. Right. Um, um, but the what Kiwu takes away from it is that he needs to get rich to buy the house to reunite with his father, just right. perpetuating the entire situation. And so, yeah. and making the house the host. I mean, right, you know, making the metaphor of the parasite that actually everybody within the house is the parasite because the house is going to keep perpetuating these situations because the father ends up back in the basement, which perpetuates the situation too. Like, you know what I mean? Like the house actually is the host and everybody within the house is some kind of uh, parasitic um, like emblem, I guess. They can't live without it, yeah. But the hope, the hope that they end up getting from everything is always, it actually seems to make things worse for them. Like the, mm -hmm. from, from being able to see the city and imagine that you can get out of it instead of fighting your way out to imagining you could have, you could earn enough money to buy the house in, in, in Kiwu um, mistakenly believes that Korean society is meritocratic enough that if he tries, he might, even though everything prior to this indicates that that's not a possibility. And now he has a record. So yeah. it's, it, th there's almost no way that can happen. So, I mean, I, I listened to uh, Bong Joon-ho talk about this, and he he, he actually did sound, uh, you know, I said he was a Marxist, and he is, actually, but there is a very, he's a very pessimistic Marxist, because he, he keeps on talking about how he wants people to, to change the world, but that but the, he doesn't think that artists should be necessarily perpetuating that vision that, that you know yeah. maybe people can but it's not what he does um that he just wants to show the world to people and that is like that in of itself would be a kind of revolutionary act to like show it on varnishly and that's the bleakness of the ending there i mean i think there is also there there is the absolute acknowledgement of of the fact that you know this family's hard working they're unbelievably intelligent i mean the, the kinds of stuff the, the kinds of macgyver situation but it is it is you know bong joon ho is also a master of like changing genres on you and the mm -hmm. fact it moves from like a black farce into a out and out horror movie right. um no pun is important to the germans uh <laughs> um but i mean i think that i think that's that's intentional it's also i mean it's like the it is like the end of snow pierce in a way because i agree with you uh karthik that snow pierce is a more optimistic movie but it's two people who survived the train crash who snap who literally step into a wasteland like right. yeah like, like there's nothing left for them really they might be lucky with the bug food so I mean, like, um, no, they got pol they got a polar bear to eat. <laughs> yeah, they, you know, it, it was so it was so hilarious to Andre on uh, when we did Snowpiercer because uh, 
literally being from Canada, like he made the the polar bear uh, <laughs> joke, and then I was like, I was like, well, they could have eaten the polar, like. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. as a side note, I found it I found it funny that 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 Bong Joon Ho per- portrayed like this moral horror of eating bugs, and I'm like, but, but like it's part of Korean cuisine. I mean, like, <laughs> like, yeah. like, I don't like. I, I, I think he's making fun of us right now. Um, but anyway, uh, that's well, not about this we movie. Eat but... bugs, we eat bugs too. Like our red dye comes from bugs. Like, yeah, you know what I mean. Like the, the Coachinelle's Coachinelle's bug. But yeah, um, but and, we and you but eat, we don't like to know like, we eat bugs. <laughs> yeah, just and also just by you know um, Americans being overweight and just you know people like people in general like you know. Um, everybody opening their mouth while they sleep, like which obviously every everybody across the world does, but like especially here, like you you swallow a lot, like you swallow at least eight bugs um, a year is is like the I don't know how they came up with that figure as eight. I assume it's more, but like, <laughs> um, I I just I I I. I I felt like uh, he was making fun of his international audience with the bug thing in that movie, but um, it's it is a very I think it's a very bleak movie, and I still think it's I don't think it's guilty of like what like Mark Fisher would call capitalist realism um, because it it does seem to think that another world is possible, but it doesn't seem to think it's likely, and it also seems to question. Like even though these people are super creative, even though all the all these other things, um, the they also are perpetuating what is happening right. to them, and yeah. and that I think that's a lot more. I think American audiences can can take away the long lesson from that, but I think it is interesting that that you know if it's, this was like a of, it's guilty of almost like a new left Howard Zinn mentality. Yeah. Because like the the change that I think that Bong Joon Ho envisions is like an like is is violent class struggle in a way that ne- like isn't necessarily helpful. I it's funny though because I was listening to the uh, Russell Brand uh, Capitalist Realism audiobook. I don't mm-hmm. know if you guys have, have have seen that that exists, but uh, literally today while I was doing my bike ride because um I, I was watching The Wire last night and then I was like why the Wire I think is probably the like the most um, I, I've said this like since first reading Capitalist Realism, like a few years ago. Like the the Wire, I think is the most visible representation of the concept of capitalist realism that will ever exist, um, in in any capacity. Because there's no there's no alternative system. Um, like like the the end of the Wire is obviously that the system is just perpetuated endlessly, and there's no getting out of it. Like the reform mentality obviously fails because. There's always like an, an up above. Uh, there's always like an upper place that someone can reach to, um, and you know. So I was I was listening to Capitalist Realism today and thinking about whether Parasite represents that, and I agree with you. It, it doesn't um, uh, hmm. at all because I, I think that Bong Joon Ho is hopeful in a way that like Thatcherite, uh, like Thatcherite or like neoliberal, um, like even the people that understand that, uh, like that. Uh, political like endless system aren't um because i think the wire criticizes neoliberalism in a way that no other show really does like the 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 targeted the targeted like 
the fact that everywhere you go, any any public utility that you use, like there's always these targets you have to reach. And the targets, like obviously this ends up with people faking the, the target numbers and the statistics um, and, and doesn't end up with any actual change. I think Parasite and, and Snowpiercer and all of Bong Joon-ho's work cries out for a solution. I just don't think he thinks he's the one to come up with that solution. I think he seems to um, seems to really and and I guess I guess like it's honest to his uh, his career uh, seems to believe that like an infiltration method is possible that you can actually get into the system and like sneak in and like operate on the sly and um, and and sneak something past like uh, get something through or like you know make something happen like that cause some change shake shake the uh, rattle the cage as like uh, he says it in the, I think Batman Begins um, like something that he thinks I mean he's definitely not Christopher Nolan level like just libertarian I'll, I'll just get to do whatever the uh, fuck I want kind of attitude either uh, but more in the along oh, the lines you can, of he does it, want you can see that in his personal interactions in these interviews right. like he downplays his own leftism and I think that Varn's right about that being a thing um, with South Korea in general and the South Korean government probably, but it's also a thing in navigating the Oscar system. And it's also a thing in, in navigating a system that doesn't want to put out foreign movies in the U S and kind of the U S is this huge market. And, you know, like we, we watched the, uh, we watched the clip of him talking about Harvey Weinstein and how he uh, very deftly in, in a similar way, I think to um, kind of what happened in parasite with like the, the conning, like where he kind of told Harvey Weinstein, like, my father was a fisherman and that's why I want this fish scene and like came up with this whole story and lied to him and then felt bad about it. But also like realized that was the way he was going to get his movie passed through that. Like, I, I think that there's this internationalist perspective where you realize that like the way that you can navigate through both the South Korean government for sure, um, because he's incredibly, um, he seems incredibly uh, excited that president moon, when I watched that one clip is like praising, parasite and then that actually got a bunch of money put into refurbishing and like changing these semi-basement apartments like they started investing money in that because you know the, the moon's administration was kind of embarrassed about the fact that now internationally everybody knows that that's a that's a you know that's a big part of um south korean poverty but also at the same time navigating your way through this uh oscar system in this case where people that are actually like the fuck art family, but like first are kind of coming up to you being like, oh, I loved your movie. This is great. I'm so happy I saw it. Class consciousness. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he seems very adept at navigating those worlds um, in a way that, well, number one, I, I, I wonder if his translator is also in on that because he, right, he, yeah. Yeah, he seems to use the same translator um, every time. So mm -hmm. it, it's interesting to see. Like, I wonder what behind the scenes he's saying to his translator like we got to sell this movie to a, a u.s public that's not going to be fucking ready to see it <laughs> yeah i i would say that um that listening to him speak he is that like i'm not fluent in korean but i do understand it pretty well and it sound the translation does sound fairly accurate to what he's saying um uh so but i it does it does feel like a it does feel very scripted actually but both things but he also like, he also picks out which words he's gonna say in english right you know i mean like like he says full sentences in english and then he'll switch back to korean 
And I don't think I'm not saying that I think that his translator is is changing fundamentally anything he's saying. I don't think she is. But what I'm saying is the fact that he uses the same translator. I wonder if it's kind of like society societally, I guess, like there are times where something you're saying in one language sounds harsher than something that you maybe want to say in English on the word show trail. Oh, yeah, sure. I just I just wonder, like, yeah. I think he definitely wants to say it in both languages. And I think he wants to like say it in his, say it in Korean because it, it sounds, you know, authentic to what he wants to say. And and uh, and, and I, I don't know if he's like del- deliberately playing with like these words that he specifically uh, points out in English uh, or if it's just like a natural inflection that just comes with like being bilingual in the in this respect. But I think that's mostly the, the uh, my take on the Korean and the translation is like, uh, kind of both allowing himself the opportunity to say it the way he would like to in in a kind of way that's like distant also and I completely relate to that like you know it, it'd be mm-hmm. it'd be a way to kind of you know come meet me where I'm at rather than um, you know me coming to like a lot of times I think even a, a kind of interesting connection but like the Zizek Peterson debate uh, a lot of it came down to the fact that Peterson is just like a just generally better spoken person in the language um, because he was uh, born, raised in, in these circumstances, and Zizek didn't come from uh, these circumstances. Zizek Therefore, still like, he had like a, him in that debate. Yeah, yeah, of course. But but at the same time, if if there was any kind of decent showing that this man had at all, it was just because he was a native speaker. And like, mm. uh, and yeah. Zizek kind of like didn't really have that. Uh, and and there were so, a lot of times when he had the kind of poise, and Zizek appeared like a little like you know frazzled, etc. Just because he was trying to put the words together in his head to see what he had to say. Uh, whereas like Peterson, on the other hand, like had a little more. Uh, except when he actually had to talk about theoretically you know rigorous stuff, in which case he really didn't have much to offer. Uh, but like when whenever he had to come with like a pat response, I think like. Um, there's a little kind of home turf advantage that I think, um, especially if you were born and raised in the United States and you're coming to the academy, the, the academy awards, uh, it brings to you. But I think he doesn't want to give that kind of. He doesn't want to be on the back foot. I feel like that's it. Like yeah. he wants it to be on his terms. Well, if you've ever had, I don't know. I had my apartment roasted by Zizak on a stream, so I. I... I uh I take offense to the fact that Zizek doesn't know exactly how to use the English language because he no, roasted of course he fuck. does yeah no but no but I'm saying like he roasted the fuck out of my apartment when I was on a fucking stream with him <laughs> I still have that video <laughs> no I I agree with you I think that with Jordan Peterson the interesting thing specifically in that example is that Jordan Peterson uses inflection um he has like this strange <laughs> academic sounding inflection that like. When you actually look at the words he's like when you read something jordan peterson's wrote you're like this is incoherent but when he uses like the inflection that he like uses these specific pauses you're like this sounds like it could be right you know what i mean like <laughs> right um but i i think uh i'm i'm going to um cut it in in a second i i wanted to play a uh, as as a way to play us out because i never do this anymore um i wanted to play uh the the, the James Austin Johnson uh, Trump impression where he talks about Scooby-Doo because I was watching that earlier. But um, I, I, I thank you guys for coming on uh, so much. I think that this was a, a great conversation. I wish we had like an endless amount of time to specifically talk about this movie because I think that no matter uh, how long you spend talking about 
this movie, there's like an infinite other amount of things you can say about it. Um, and, you know, I mean, that's that's good cinema, you know, like just in general, like regardless of whether it's we do regardless of whether Scooby. it's class conscious or not. I think uh, I think it says a lot about um, like, you know, how how amazing cinema is when you can just like the amount of details in it. You can spend an endless amount of time talking about it. So um, I'm going to I'm going to leave it there. And uh, thank you guys for coming on. And I, I do want to do Train to Busan at some point um, before Halloween. I think that would be really fun. Um, and I think the second movie is also out, right? We could. What, number, number two also... You can double no, feature the... it. Oh, there's a. Right. Yeah, we could double feature it. Well, I'd like to do that either sometime in September or in October, definitely. Um, yeah. But I'm, I'm going to leave it there. Uh, thanks so much. Scooby-Doo, 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 they call him Scooby-Doo, they call show Scooby-Doo, but Scooby doesn't do anything, Scooby is not involved, at the time, time Scooby's not even involved, he's just a bystander, it's one of the worst deals we've ever had, to call a show Scooby-Doo and then not deliver on Scooby-Doo, there's not a show about a dog sniffing its ass, okay? This is your show of where the mystery team are in a van and they walk around and they do, you know, they, they figure out, you know, mystery, they're solving mystery. And Scooby is not involved in any way, shape, form. Scooby, frankly, gets much too much attention, money. We're giving way too much attention to Mr. Scooby and he's not doing anything. Scooby do, he doesn't do. So we call him Scooby, but he doesn't do. We call him Scooby, but he doesn't do. It's a terrible deal. The show, by the way, if we were talking about who actually was doing anything, solving mystery and helping crime, stopping the bad guys who are really not so bad. If you talk to some of these guys, they just want to remake the world into a better place if it wasn't for these meddlesome kids and their stupid dog. Okay. But we're doing a show about mystery team. You know, they're solving the mystery. They should call the show Velma. Why don't they call the show Velma? Velma's the one doing everything. Fred and Daphne, they're just over there porking in the corner. They're not, they're not doing any of the making out being unhelpful, okay? Fred just drives. Fred's just the driver. He doesn't drive the plot, and he doesn't drive the mystery, and he doesn't solve the mystery. He just moves the van from place to place, A to B. And it's a very unhelpful thing. We don't even need the van. The van does not play narrative. It does not have narrative role, okay? Other than we can't be doing the same crime in the same place. We need to move on to a new monster. And so from that perspective, van makes a lot of sense. But Daphne, Daphne, not much to do. Daphne, very not much to do. Shaggy, oddly enough, this little stoner who's over in the corner picking his ass and rolling joints, weirdly actually ends up helping the mystery a lot more than Fred than Daphne. Okay, a lot more. And yet we call show Scooby-Doo. We call the show Scooby-Doo and we should be calling it Velma. We should be calling it Shaggy and Velma with minimal help from Scooby-Doo. And we're doing a terrible job, frankly, monitoring this situation. People say I know haunted, people say I know haunted diver, haunted scuba guy. I, I, of course I wish him well. I wish anybody well. 
he's just, he glows and he's got glowing seaweed and glowing kelp on his body. I wish a lot of people well, okay? I would wish Jab.